You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Well, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is you're looking for. Flaws. Did we get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken no law. But they will. The fact that you prevent it from happening doesn't change the fact that it was going to happen. The system can't be wrong. Run! You say something, Chief? No. You're in a lot of trouble, John. I have a warrant in my pocket that says murder. Don't run. You don't have to chase me. From 20th Century Fox. He set me up. He set me up. And DreamWorks Pictures. Who's the victim? I've never heard of him. But I'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours. He's coming here to get her. Tom Cruise. I need your help. If you contain information, I need to know how to get at it. In the Steven Spielberg film. I have to know. I have to find out what happened in my life. You tell me, who was it to set this up? I don't know. How about now? Hello, and welcome to Above the Title, a podcast about the career of Colin Farrell and the evolving state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Cole. I'm Connor. And uh, we got a guest with us this week, our first guest. Uh, everyone say hello to Justin Stillmaker, my old roommate, uh, filmmaker at large, Justin Stillmaker. Hi, everyone. Hi. Hey, Connor. Hey, Cole. Glad to, glad to have you with us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Uh, th- thank Very you so much for joining us, Justin. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I'm so excited for this week. <laughs> yeah, man. We're talking about a good movie this week, guys. We're talking about a classic. Minority an, Report. An American classic. We are talking about the 2002 Steven Spielberg movie, Minority Report. But before we get into the movie, uh, Justin, I just wanted to ask you, just to start mm. this off. Big picture. What are your thoughts on Colin Farrell? Like, just broadly. I feel, I, I think he's slowly morphed over the years into one of our best living actors. I think I think when he came out, I feel like the, I kind of entered film and film school like as the rise of Colin Farrell was happening, and I don't think he was fully ready for it. And then suddenly <laughs> he like morphed into a character or actor and then morphed into like a leading man. And now we're at this point where it's like, he can't do anything wrong. Like I, like, I feel like in a decade, I haven't seen this guy give a bad performance. Yeah, because you're, 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 you're a little older than both of us. So you yeah. were like in high school, maybe even out of high school when when this movie I, came out. I was a senior in high school when this movie. Okay, came so, out. but you're 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 old enough to have maybe even like. Did you see Tigerland? When it came out, were you one of the three people who saw Tiger? I did not see it in theaters, but I <laughs> I had heard about Tigerland okay. and rented it. I think I worked at Blockbuster. Speaking of dating yourself, Jesus, Woo! the dream. <laughs> I feel like you would have had to live within the IFC Center to see that movie when it came out. You would have had to have <laughs> a lease we're, inside the IFC Center. <laughs> we're fixated on this, Justin. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Um, they open Tigerland in five theaters, as you do, um, and it's. <laughs> 
per screen average was wasn't great, so they never added screens. Wow. So that movie made a hundred forty thousand. Holy shit! In like a three month run, on a supposedly I, ten million dollars. Yeah, movie. yeah. I was gonna say, I was like, I do feel like the amount of press, even I'm like, again, I may be like retroactively creating a bigger, but like yeah. I, it was talked about. Like I like kept hearing Colin Farrell's name. I mean, I was deepened. Like I knew I was going to film school, so mm-hmm. I was like already paying attention to this stuff. But like they were pushing him, and then it, it uh, like. We could probably figure out how many people per screaming that is. I, I absolutely, I absolutely could because I have those. Movies. <laughs> We're not here to talk about Tigerland. I just love that that movie, good movie, uh, only made 140 grand. Joel Schumacher is that Joel Schumacher? Yes, one of Joel one Schumacher. of the three Schumachers we're talking about in this podcast. Yeah, crazy um, man. Because we got two more down the pipe. But Justin, no, can uh, I ask you a question before we get into sure. this week's film? Yeah. I feel like I've been. Um, positing this idea that there's like a well-known story arc of Colin Farrell's career do you kind of like agree with that that like we all have the understanding that Tigerland was like the big break Alexander's like a huge disaster Miami Vice is like his last run before rehabbing and coming out on the other side as like more of a character actor and independent starling yeah that feels right I like even like I think Miami Vice is like totally the disaster that ends it but like I always think about like the recruit is like the point where they were like, this guy can open a movies. And you're like, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that. I think that's, that's Save it for the recruit. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 that's fine. We've been, we've been touching on the adjacent movies this whole yeah. time. And that's, that's fine. I don't actually have a sense of how much, how well that movie did. So that's, that's something I'm going to need to double back on when I, when I look into it next week. Um, but yeah, a thing a thing we've been talking about is, and I've been hitting this point a little bit more than Connor has, is that this movie feels like it's right in the middle of this run he goes on where he's getting paired up with bigger names. Yes. Even if he's even if he's nominally the lead of the movie, he's not this week, but he was last week. He will be in the recruit. He's second build to established A-listers. Cruz, uh, Willis, Pacino, Affleck, right. um, almost as a like I, I keep calling it like a minor leagues thing, like that they're they're gonna they're gonna make it work come hell or high water <laughs> with this kid. Um, it's Cole, let me with... stop you for one second, just before we get too far into it. This yeah, week yeah, we yeah. are talking yeah. about the 2002 film Minority Report directed by Steven Spielberg. Just so everybody's on the same page as though you didn't see the title of the episode when you clicked on it, but it's Spielberg week. It's Cruise week. Yeah. It's a big one. Does it not feel to you, Cole, like this is the beginning of the rest of our lives right here. This this (laughs) is the beginning of the rest of our lives. This is the first one I'm like scared to talk about. Interesting. Um, In in a way there, there, there are a couple movies We've got down here Miami Vice being another one, just because I think that's just been so relitigated over right. the past 15 mm-hmm. years, um, yeah. even though I love it. But this one, honestly, Bruges, just because that feels like a minefield. Uh, Alexander, just because. Oh, I should have said Alexander. Fuck no, yes, nobody wants to talk well, about Alexander. I'll come back because as an Oliver Stone guy. I'm yeah, ready. I want to talk about the elephants. I'm excited. I love Oliver that. Stone. But, but this, just because this is just such a. It's such a big movie for his career, but also big picture. This is such an important 
touchstone, I think, in a lot of things. I think it's an important movie in Cruz's career. I think it's an important, almost like which way Western man, <laughs> like crossroads point <laughs> for the blockbuster yeah, it's um, link, in a fashion. Right? Um, it's arguably the most influential American film of the 21st century. Not in terms of its influence on film, but in terms of its broader cultural influence on design mm-hmm. and tech and aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Like everyone likes to call back to this movie as being like weirdly prescient in, in how like Apple is going to go over the next 20 years, but they're actually getting it flipped. It's that this movie like to some degree is talking to Spielberg's talking to people who know where things are going to go. But to some degree it's that this movie comes out and people are trying to mimic the tech and the the aesthetics that they see on screen so i'm just a little nervous about talking about this very important movie but before do you want to do like histories with this movie before or after the plot synopsis connor so i feel um, like people know this one well let's just introduce it like i'll try to run through yeah. it as fast as possible yeah, 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 so yeah. you know directed by steven spielberg again um cinematography by janice Kam- uh, kaminsky longtime spielberg every single film i wish we could talk about of his um written by scott frank and john cohen starring tom cruise max monsida colin farrell samantha morton uh appearances by lois smith Catherine morris tim blake nelson daniel london peter stormare and, and neil mcdonough um based on a short story by philip k dick uh and i don't know should i try to get into <laughs> The don't I, I'm, I'm gonna similar. say two things because i know this is, is yeah. a bit of a movie. i'm gonna say one don't stress out about it uh <laughs> because i do feel like people are more familiar with this one two um you, there's no way you're gonna do a worse job of summing up the plot of this movie than colin farrell did on the press tour oh my of god this yeah <laughs> I wanted to talk about that, but yeah. So <laughs> let's let's start from the beginning. So uh, you know, Tom Cruise plays John Anderton. He's the chief of the Department of Pre-Crime in the year 2054 in Washington D.C. Um, the Department of Pre-Crime uses three human mutants who are clairvoyant. They can only see murders that take place in the future, and the police department has co-opted them um, essentially to use them as a computing device for which they can catch these prophesized murderers before the murder actually takes place um they catch the murderers and they put them in essentially an induced coma and then put them in like a prison farm of other comatized prisoners that are there um uh danny whitware who's the colin farrell character uh, fbi agent or not fbi agent federal department of justice agent comes to audit the <laughs> department of pre-crime there's gonna be a lot of departments being said here right or maybe just two but over and over again um while he's auditing the department Anderton comes across a vision by one of the precogs, the most powerful of the three named Agatha. Agatha shows Anderton a vision of a murder that had seemingly taken place right after the inception of the pre-crime program. And almost immediately thereafter, another precog of a future murder comes out. And in that one, Anderton is the murderer. So he catches his own precognition of a murder that he's going to commit in the future against a man that he has never met. And he decides to go on the run. This is a man on the run movie. Um, His colleagues chase him throughout Washington, D.C., he makes his way to a doctor played by Lois Smith. I cannot remember her name, but she is essentially the inventor of pre-crime. And she tells him that it all started as an accident, that she was trying to cure children of mothers who had drug addictions while they were in the womb. And these children, for whatever reason, due to the new age future drugs that are featured in this film, have uh, psychic abilities to see the future, especially murders that take place. And that the pre-crime program is just a weird byproduct of this kind of rehabilitation treatment for these children that happen. Um, 
So, but she also tells Cruz of the titular minority report, essentially saying that the precogs don't always agree when they see the future. One may have a different vision of the future than the other two, and it's always Agatha who has a different vision. Meaning Anderton has to go back into the Department of Precrime now that he's a wanted man, uh, which leads him to seek out a black market surgeon to replace his eyes, because in this in this future, it's very 1984 Big Brother inspired. Um, you could be ID'd by your retinas. So he gets his eyes replaced. He enters the precrime uh, temple, they call it, where the precogs are being kept. Boy, this is... <laughs> getting longer and longer yeah. he can't he he does not have enough time to extract the data of the minority report from agatha that he's looking for so he decides to actually kidnap agatha agatha is conscious she's out of the temple and he brings agatha to a black market computer engineer who i guess also designed the temple that houses the the computerized mechanism that that allows the precogs to interact with, <laughs> with the forensic system that they're using uh, there, they discovered that there was no minority report. All three precogs saw uh, Anderton murdering this man. They go on the run again when they come across the building that the murder is supposed to take place in. And against Agatha's advice, Anderton investigates and he finds that the man that he's supposed to murder appears to be the murderer of his son who went missing some years prior to this. He was kidnapped at a public swimming pool when Anderton was underwater. Anderton wants to kill him, but he decides to arrest him instead, to which the man exclaims, or I don't know, exclaims, he, he's very distressed and he, he reveals that he was told to play the part of the murder of Anderson's child and get murdered in exchange for the financial benefit of his family. He ends up taking his own life anyways, but it goes against the vision that the precog saw. Anderton and Agatha escape to Anderton's estranged wife's house when she calls his mentor, the, the director of the Department of Pre-Crime, who is revealed to be the mastermind behind this conspiracy, where uncovers part of the conspiracy, but not the entire thing. And now that the pre-crime program is suspended because Agatha is out of the system, uh, Anderton's mentor, whose name is Lamar Burgess, takes the opportunity to murder Whitwer, and then he also takes the opportunity to arrest Anderton, placing him in the prisoner farm and Agatha back in the temple. And then Anderton's wife, coming becoming suspicious of Burgess, breaks Anderton out of the prisoner farm. They reveal to the world that Burgess used a double... <laughs> I don't know how to explain this. We get into this later. He We're murdered Agatha's mom to, to retain Agatha in the precog program. Agatha's mother, who rehabilitated, wanted to take her out of the precog program so she could live a normal life. And uh, Anderton and his wife reveal to a, a large public that Burgess was involved in that murder. And then it, they essentially leave Burgess with the opportunity because it becomes uh, prophesized that he will kill Anderton, that he can either kill Anderton and prove that uh, the pre-crime system works, or he can not kill Anderton and watch the system crumble. And he decides to take his own life, and then pre-crime is abolished. And everybody has a happy ending. Did yeah, I miss anything important? That was I impressive. Mean, yeah, you. Hit, I mean, there are like tangents you miss, but in terms of plot stuff, explaining hit, how explaining how Burgess actually pulls the murder off, I think will take it's the amount so, of time. It's so that, cool. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what matters? What matters is, and the thing I think I like about this movie is that especially in contrast to the short story, the the conspiracies in play aren't truly at the end of the day aren't that complicated and aren't that far thinking it yeah. really is just it just boils down to powerful people doing like brute force cruel actions solely to protect their own power that, and almost this. in a way the 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 psychic like precognition element of the narrative is a bit of a red herring because it's just it's just the tool these guys are using to maintain control over the system of carceral punishment. Yes, exactly. I got to say, I, I I think this is my favorite kind of noir mystery yeah. um, oh. template, the kind of like these mechanisms are put in place mm. by society and the leading classes kind of weaponize yeah. those mechanisms. They accuse man. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the thing about the great thing about this movie and it's, it is the, it is in a way the hackiest thing about this movie, but almost in a good way. And it's the Scott Frank of it all that this is just a fucking 
noir film like yeah. wrong man on the run you know down to the uncannily happy ending like this is just <laughs> yeah this yeah. is just a straight up noir film in cyberpunk clothes basically cyberpunk's maybe not the right word well and, and when you listed all that plot i sort of like forget that that many things happen because it's just sort of like cliched like you're talking about yeah. like you just sort of know these scenes you don't even really feel like okay now he has to break back in and get the like it all is like matter of fact if you've watched these genre movies before and so like it, it keeps it from seeming like so much plot that when you yeah. said it, i was like holy shit that does all happen i think it's my favorite life. thing of about genre films especially this kind of genre noir mystery or even whodunit kind of if you want to clarify it that i i think what i love is that like trick it plays where you you think as the viewer you're smarter than you actually are because you're following it and there are mm -hmm. so many important plot beats that jump from one to the next um and that kind of like the puzzle making of it all like connecting one chain to the to the other and, and watching it all come in fruition i think the films of this nature that fail like outright are the ones that don't pull that off at all or there's like too many there's too many it relies on your suspension of belief too many times in unsuccessful films of this nature which i which minority report doesn't fall into and i think the sci-fi aspect of it helps that out because you either have to buy in completely to the setup of this world or you don't buy in at all um but i mean it's spielberg i think you know it's spielberg yeah sci i mean is you there anybody saying, better to kind of pull yeah. you into this so kind of effortless yeah. yeah you were saying justin that like in a way it's it's hitting all the hacky beats but mm. i think i think a way it kind of can get past all the hacky beats is that one, the, the hacky beats work for a reason. And, right. and Scott Scott Frank, I think, has that almost like weaponizing hackiness energy to him in a <laughs> yeah. way that like is 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 what is great about him as a screenwriter is that pure unabashed classicism. But it's also that like it, it is a Spielberg movie. So it, it's full of just crazy ideas like, yeah, it has the old saw where he has to break back into his own police precinct, but the actually seeing that play out is Tom Cruise with a melted face, like grabbing rotting eyeballs with his bare hands and like shoving them into retinal scanners. Like it's it's gonna it's gonna take every opportunity it can and on like a visual level, on a performance level, especially with Cruise's performance, um, just to like zhuzh it up. A little right. and i think the the yin and the yang of those two tensions well and it, it sets up and pays off constantly like like it's oh, also like because yeah. like because of all that plot every other like five minutes you're getting this like really like dopamine hit of satisfaction it's like oh you pulled that up we're on to the next set piece we're on to the next thing it's gonna do yeah. and like you don't ever notice that that much story is happening but then as soon as you ask to explain the movie i was like I don't even know where to start. So many things happen. Yeah. We get to that murder is so complicated. Yeah. I, I do want to touch back onto this. Something I said earlier though. Um, Connor sent me a bunch of like clips of Colin doing um <laughs> yes, yes, doing like the late night circuit to yeah. promote this movie. And holy shit, every single time he's asked to describe the plot of the movie, <laughs> and maybe this was a directive from the studio, they didn't want him to talk about the Cruz gets 
uh, implicated in a murder thing, though I remember that being in the trailers. We can it get has into that. to be. It has but, to be. But Colin gets hung up on the concept of pre-crime itself, and every time he's asked to describe the plot of this movie, he gives a long, rambling like attempt to describe the scenario with the mutants in the tank and how it functions that inevitably ends with him saying, you, the person I'm speaking this, don't know this, but in four hours you're going to get mad and want to kill me or someone else on this set and tom's gonna come swinging through the window and it's it never gets less coherent for this lovely drunk irishman <laughs> yeah can i tell you what makes it more complicated is like in his recent in his interviews like post 2010 he definitely he retains the irish accent but like he speaks with an american cadence and in these yeah. interviews he's speaking like pure like dublin like he's oh on the yeah he's... dublin and the interviewers and the other and in some of them there are like other guests like on the couch with them they have absolutely no idea what he's talking about at all times throughout <laughs> these yeah uh yeah, but um, I want to say, so just when, to get into our histories with this movie before we actually start really delving into the meat of the mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. So I just wanted to know basically that your history is, because I would say, I know for me, and I think a reason why this is a bit of like a stressor for me to talk about, mm-hmm. I was nine when this movie came out. I 100% saw this in theaters. Though, I, I, again, I'm not old enough to remember what the marketing campaign looked like, but I 100% saw this in theaters, and this is definitely the first time I ever saw Colin Farrell in a movie, obviously, because this is the first time we're talking about a movie we've already seen, and that's how it works. Definitely the first Spielberg I saw in a theater, and probably the first Spielberg I saw that wasn't E.T. or the Indiana Jones trilogy, and I think this was probably the first Tom Cruise movie I ever saw. Like, I, I am trying to think back. I might have seen Mission One by the time I had seen that. I don't think that's the case um, for that's me. That's a good question. This Just is your cinematic awakening. First, uh... Yeah, and I mean, I fucking, this movie blew my mind when I saw it. For obvious reasons, because you don't, especially when you're a kid, you don't see blockbusters this kind of mean-spirited isn't even the right word but that's the only way i can think of it you know what i'm saying when did you guys see this for the first time did you i justin i assume you saw this in theaters i saw it in theaters i saw it with my parents like they like wanted to go to the movies to see Mm -hmm. it and then i think i went so i know i saw it at least twice if not three times because again i was gonna go to film school and was obsessed Mm -hmm. with spielberg Mm -hmm. as you (laughs) always start i don't think it was my first spielberg in theater i think last crusade i was probably like a kid seeing that yeah in see i wasn't born <laughs> yeah um did you justin did you what's go- your from what's your first cruise that you remember seeing that's a good question and are we talking in a theater or just like in general first time in general just in general like did you have an idea of who he was when you went to see minority report yes or, or i would have i like yeah. jerry Maguire was like a big thing i think when i was at like uh in like seventh eighth grade i remember because i had nudity at the beginning so it was very important to me <laughs> um uh <laughs> I want to say, yeah, the first Mission Impossible. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I saw movies with him in it before, and like Cole knows how much Top Gun means to me, but I bet you it's honestly Mission Impossible 1. I remember like seeing a bunch, obsessed with it, his weird haircut, being very into it. Like, yeah, I had the that, soundtrack. Yeah. That fucking movie, man. Mission 1. <laughs> what, what a picture. <laughs> Brian DePaulo, yeah, baby. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah. I definitely knew who Tom Cruise was. Like, yeah. I, I was walking into this movie. I know I was walking into this movie being aware that Tom Cruise was the biggest movie star in the world. I just don't think I had seen a movie with him. What about you, Connor? Because yeah, you're, like, you're a little younger than me. So Yeah, I'm a little younger than you. And I think we, I don't know if we touch on this on the podcast, but I, I definitely feel like I have the opinion about myself that I'm kind of like a late bloomer yeah. to like the love of film. Um, my first cruise in a theater was definitely Mission Impossible 3. Um, Sorry. <laughs> I think I was... I think I was 11. That's 2006, right? That's so sick. Summer yeah. 2006. So I was 11 when that came out. And uh, my first cruise I think I saw was War of the Worlds. Um, I think I saw Minority Report on TV like shortly after seeing War of the Worlds. And I remember just being like, like, here's the difference when you're a kid and you watch movie in a theater as opposed to like turning on like FX network to like watch a movie that you see coming across Mm. i had absolutely no idea what was going on and i like i could not not wrap my mind around what was going on (laughs) at that age i it was it it was a movie that like completely 100 baffled me like i couldn't understand the whole idea of like them being psychic but also being hooked up to computers at the time of like at the age i was i just could not understand like the idea of that kind of mega capitalist exploitation of this accident that happened and to me it was like it was almost too mind-boggling and i remember watching it you know with commercial breaks and all and getting to the end and being and just absolutely having no idea (laughs) what i was watching yeah no i i mean i definitely like this blew my mind but i think a lot of what blew my mind was just the the grotesqueness of it all more so than the narrative i feel like when this comes out on DVD, I'm a, I'm a few years older, you know, watching it more times, I start to log into the narrative. W- what I do truly remember from the first time I see this is just like Morton's performance, all the stuff with the eyeballs and the gross surgery, you know, the, the weird colors of this whole thing. And especially, this is kind of a funny story. I had a recurring nightmare the <laughs> summer this came out because I had seen The Sixth Sense in like April or May. And I had a recurring nightmare about the Misha Barton ghost from The Sixth Sense. Oh, like coming wow. in to try to kill me with my sleep <laughs> until I saw this movie and it switched to a recurring nightmare about, and I am blanking on his name, but the guy with the scissors in the cold oh, open of this yeah. movie, that is... murder scene oh, is so with yeah. the glasses and, and specifically the, 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 I think they're the kids cutting a mask. Yeah, no, he's but you doing, get like, those, it... those close-ups of scissors going through like paper, a paper cut out of George Washington's face just really fucking like rattled me to my core. Uh, and I had like recurring nightmares about that, like truly every night for a month until I saw signs. And then I was on to the alien from science. <laughs> let me ask you guys a question before we move on. Yeah. Well, for, first, let me say that um, my mother has uh, some like opinions you can't break about certain actors and Tom Cruise is like in her dislike basket. So Wrong. that was like a definite Wrong. like I like I wasn't being brought to the theaters to see any Tom Cruise movie. Mission Impossible was like a friend's birthday. I remember that, so, and that was how I saw it. So weird. If you're if you're like getting into it with War of the Worlds, and you said War of the Worlds probably on DVD, right, or maybe even no tape would have been on tape. I remember oh, I wanted 
I wanted, yeah. I was old enough then. I guess I was the same age of War of the Worlds that you were with uh, Minority. Yeah. Um, but so I remember wanting to see it in theaters and my mom being like, absolutely what, not. What was your kind of concept of cruise then? Because that's the, the War of the Worlds Mission 3 twofer. That's the cruise downfall. Right. That's the jumping yeah. on the couch. And yeah. so if you're coming in, Really, when in 06, <laughs> is, is your, do you remember, is your understanding? Well, I had no awareness of the Katie Holmes. Yeah. Uh, I did. Like, I had no, I, I had no awareness of that. I didn't know what Scientology was like at that moment in time. So like, I didn't understand what that was about, you know, like the Brooke Shields uh, postpartum yeah. depression thing. Yeah. I, Matt I, Lauer. About. I was, I went into, I don't, I think War of the Worlds, he didn't register as like a specific famous person to me. He was yeah. just like the character in the movie. And then Mission Impossible, I was like, oh, I know that guy. But, um, and again, I'm older by that point, yeah. but I didn't know any of this baggage. I remember like I had seen Mission Impossible 1 on TV at a younger age. I didn't remember much from it, but I remember him falling from the ceiling um and i like connected it's the dots like oh it's the, the same series <laughs> yeah it is it's so but fucking cool I, I at the time i was like mission impossible 3 i was like this is the coolest movie i've ever seen and weird because it's, it's so funny dog it's so shit. funny <laughs> I, um, I wouldn't say it's dog shit but i was hmm. watching i was watching it today and i was like wow and i think it was i think today watching it today was the first time i had seen it since 2006 and yeah <laughs> I was the reason, like back. <laughs> the reason I ask is because uh, uh, just a thought I had watching this movie is that this movie is arguably not just in the film, but in, in general for Tom, this really does feel like the peak of truly the peak of Tom Cruise, the movie star, but the fall off is so fast after this, because this, mm. this, this era of cruise, and I would say 2000 to 02, is when he is truly 100% undeniably on top. He comes out of the divorce with Nicole Kidman looking better somehow. Cruise yeah. Wagner is on fire. Mission 2 mm. is his biggest hit ever. But this one also, this is the end of it. Because the next couple of movies after this, it's Last Emperor and Collateral which are in hindsight regardless of how they do mm. sorry last last samurai sorry yeah they're they're the movies that basically indicate that tom cruise is never getting an oscar nomination for acting ever again oh yeah i think you're and right and then yeah. war of the worlds is the disastrous press tour even though that movie's a hit but no one likes it and then mission three is a flop so mm. it really does it the bottom falls out from this guy so quickly and that this movie and this fucking batshit performance he gives in this movie is like the honestly the apex of his career in so many ways. I find fascinating 20 years later, now that his comeback is unfortunately enshrined. Mm. <sighs> Can it I just redo kind of like the run he's on within five yeah, years? And this is what I want to say. He hadn't been in a yeah. film because he spent three years making Eyes Wide Shut. So yeah. Jerry Maguire comes out in 96 and then the and next Mission. one is and mission and mission yeah. one yeah that's his eight, eight, next... apex i'm like we could argue that but well i don't know mission two is a bigger hit that's what i'm because saying. he goes he goes eyes wide shut 99 magnolia 99 mission possible 2 2000 vanilla sky 2001 which was like a phenomenon a even though it's gonna get you know it wasn't received well and then this i i don't know and 
he opened the Academy Awards post 9-11 in that, 2002, yeah. basically Justin. to be like, don't worry, everybody. I'm Tom Cruise. I'm here to heal your soul. And we're here to make movies to like make America the country that it should be. And I just don't know if you can get any higher than that as an actor. I just don't know. Let's see one Academy Award for one of these movies. But I the, I, the only thing I would say to that is someone who was like around yeah. for this is that Magnolia, while loved and Eyes Wide Shut and Vanilla Sky, I adored. They were they were the beginning, the hints of like, who is this guy? Like, like it was shifting off <laughs> yeah. where like in 90, like 96, it's like, he's the biggest, he's Denzel. He's like the biggest movie star yes. ever. And no one had any thought that he'd ever be weird or knocked off. So like, I think the true, like he seized it. I'm with you though. I think minority report is the exact moment. It goes yeah, it's, down. Okay. So like, it's the I actual think, height. I think regardless, I think we can agree. The Imperial period is mission one to this. Yeah. And I guess my, my only counter to that, and I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that if you can do Eyes Wide Shot and Magnolia and then immediately rebound with Mission Impossible 2, you're fucking the hottest shit. But no one movie. liked Mission Impossible, even though it was a huge... But I, it I was like, the biggest movie yeah. of the year. Like, that's yeah. my point. It's the biggest movie of the year and nobody liked it, even though yeah. it is good as hell. Agreed. John Wu remaking. Wait, are we gonna do Mission Impossible rankings on this, or we is it it like? Do we wanna? I mean, we could. Uh, Let's get let's get into the actual movie a little bit. We'll come back to yeah yeah. yeah. We we, we're gonna come back to talk. Yeah, I mean, we have to. Um, Yeah, good. I was gonna say I was like if if this if this helps lead off one of the things I thought I wanted to get your guys' thoughts that I thought was really interesting is Colin Farrell's chewing gum through the whole first. Yeah. Is that a direct reference to the fact that Tom Cruise basically chewed gum through the whole start of his career? Like, was that it a has decision? to be right? Like, he's literally putting them and he's like, I'm going to have you act exactly like how he did in Top Gun and became a star. Like, it's this is a fascinating piece of putting two it's, movie stars together. It's interesting, though, because I, I, make I a, a couple comparisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah go, go ahead. So, you know, this is his this is our fifth episode, right? This, this is our fifth, fifth episode. One. Yeah. Not including the first one because I don't, I don't know how to make a comparison. And we like skipped because we skipped the nineties, Justin. Yeah. Okay. So we skipped right. one movie and a television show and a yeah. bunch of television, a bunch okay. of televisions. Yeah. Um. But uh, at this point in Colin's career, he and Tom are you know had both been in their Vietnam uh, protestation film. Sure. Um. They had both been in their military court martial film. They had this is the, this is the tricky one they had both been in uh they had both been in american westerns where they speak with an irish accent okay pushing it. <laughs> pushing it yeah that one's pushing it a little that's bit that's one but... of like that's interesting though five tom movies i've never seen there's very few i haven't seen and that's one of them i watched a bit of it over the weekend it was uh I, you know, I hate ron Howard. early 90s ron howard it is what it is yeah did you see Justin, did you see 13 Lives, though? I did. I it's did. good as hell. It is shocking. <laughs> it ruined my Rod Howard hatred for a Me little bit. Me <laughs> too. Um, here's, here's the thing about the gum, though, that I'm thinking. Because I had I had the same thought. And like I've been said, I don't think it's an accident that you're getting this run of Colin plus actual A-lister thing. Because we talked about this in Hearts War last week, Connor, where... Bruce Willis is just radiating pure movie star wattage like no one else can in Hearts War. And the thing we were both so impressed with in that movie is that Colin never feels overshadowed 
by it. That Colin is actually able to meet him with just this very simple hit your marks, say your lines, look like a fucking rock star on camera performance. And that the fact that he could match that energy with with Bruce, like really was like, well, this is why they're going to keep giving this guy second chances, even after all these flops. But a thing, because I constantly forget that Colin Farrell is in this movie. And it's not that I don't like the performance, but coming in, watching it today for this podcast, I was most paying attention to his performance. And I was so struck by how clearly, and it's, I don't think it's a flaw in the performance. It's a choice. How unwilling he is to ever meet or even try to outshine Tom. And I think you see in this performance the seeds of the man who is going to want to become a character actor the second he sobers up, that that's what he's interested in. He's interested in the performance and serving the movie more than he is being Tom Cruise's equal, a hard task to be sure. I think he, uh, yeah, I think he certainly holds his own and he's disappearing into scenes though. You know, yes, I agree. You know, it's, I absolutely funny. Agree. it's a small performance. It's a very yeah. small performance. What's funny yeah. is I've never not I've never forgotten that he was in this movie because the first time I saw it, his death was like so shocking to uh, me when it occurred. So someone that, like, hadn't seen another movie. <laughs> what are the movies? I mean, the death scene Just in this any movie other movie is, is <laughs> the death scene in this movie is very Colin Farrell's death scene at the hands of Max von Sydow in this movie is very well done. It is also almost a shot-for-shot lift of Kevin Spacey's death scene in L.A. Confidential, oh, which is yeah, yeah. one I think of they the, use the same gunshot. I swear but I to think God. one of the best pieces of filmmaking of the '90s is Spacey's yeah. death scene in that movie. And I, I am sorry, but I love up. Minority Report. I probably <laughs> like this movie more than L.A. Confidential. It is kind of, I'm watching, I'm like, yeah, you're playing the hit, Steve. You saw that movie and you liked it. You know what was so memorable of it, or so shocking at the time to me, though, was more like the progression of him being like, do you hear the spiders coming? Do you, yes. Are there people yes. flying through the windows? And the fact that I think that scene more than any other movie is like completely washed out of color. Yes. I will say... It's very jarring to, for a young Collins. movie viewer yeah. to see a, a shot like that that has like almost no color whatsoever and mm. be overexposed at the same time and just like play out in that manner. I will say to Colin's credit, and not even credit, because I, like I said, I do think it's a good performance. I just think it is a show, like intentionally small performance. That is his big scene. That's his big movie star scene because it is such a long monologue that kind of has to outline a lot of stuff that Tom does not have time to address later. He really fucking like steps up and it feels so much more high energy than he is in the rest of the movie, which weirdly does translate like, oh, this slimy little guy has grown a conscience. And in his moment of growing a conscience, he gets to have star wattage for once. Justin, you look like you disagree with me. No, no, I agree. I like, I think Farrell's performance in the whole, like I, I remember this from the last time I'd watched it, but like watching it strictly for him is that he just feels uncomfortable is too strong of a word. But like for the first, whenever he's with Tom, I feel like he's being asked to echo a previous Tom Cruise performance. Yeah. yeah. I think the moment where I, I agree, like the scene where he gives the expedition is like the, his full moment. And he's like, I think it's purposely not with Cruise, I think is clear. 
the scene in the elevator when he's like, I don't hear any sirens going off. The the way they go, like uh, Farrell's eyes in that is <laughs> yeah. like fantastic. Yeah, like that, that's yeah. what I was like. That's a movie star. Up until that yeah. point, I'm like, this could be a lot of other actors. That's interesting because for me, the elevator scene is the one where like, and maybe it's because it is it is such a direct two hander. But that's yeah. the one where you, I feel like you see the shakiness. But I agree. And, I agree. And he's he is he is asked to deliver like a lot of really clunky dialogue. Yes. In that, because if it's it's when he's he's like, I know you're a drug addict, John. Yes. And 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 the movie is like ahead of that character at a time. And again, maybe this is a choice Spielberg's making to like the 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 more confident he is in the moral certitude of the film, well, and, the more exciting he is. And Farrell's well, go ahead, Connor. Sorry. Yeah, no, I do ahead. think it fits. I, I would make the argument that it fits the character Maybe. that he's being asked to play because he's being asked to play somebody who's like wildly ambitious, which is like yeah. a point that I've made before. Maybe not, maybe not recently, but I made a point before in one of our earlier episodes that I associate Colin at this point early on in his career as being tasked with playing men who are like far older than he is in years, actually. And I think this is one of those performances, but at the same time, like he's, he's being tasked to play with a man who worked his way up to be a homicide detective and then moved on to the federal department of justice, um, like fairly shortly, you know, fairly early in his life. I think he's, I think the jumpiness fits because he's a man who's being asked to you know, like roll in, disrupt what he can and like take over what mm-hmm. is profitable for the department of justice. He is just for, just for context sake, he is 25 when they shoot this movie. That's incredible. That's, that's wild. Right. Again, if he, if he's supposed to work up the ranks to become a homicide detective prior to becoming an agent for he's, the department of justice, I think the character has got to be at least 10 years older. Yeah. Than, I mean, yeah, this yeah, is, that's a good, that's, is, that's, right? that's really yeah. interesting. Yeah. This is the Tom thing where, where Tom Cruise always plays young and always has they're supposed to be the same age you know um like yeah it, it, is, it, it is such an idea at the yeah. end of the movie that he's the only one of them who actually has homicide experience that yeah. means he can't be a young buck you know they're they're supposed to be the same age if anything i think the, he pulls it off though yeah is what i'd the, argue like you don't, story... you don't question if i told you that colin farrell was 32 no yeah no. when you saw the movie the first time you would buy it. it yeah would i buy that tom is 32 <laughs> i don't 35. know i'd buy 35 for long yeah. as go. man the, the one of the smartest things they've ever done is to be like he's playing a drug addict in this movie uh because it, <laughs> it adds years it adds years to the character but like yeah i don't I, I, I want to say, I don't think Colin's bad in this movie. I think this is handily the best performance he's given so far. I am just struck by how selfless of a performance he is giving in what could be a star is born. And I think was mm-hmm. presented at the time, and Justin, you can probably speak to this more, mm-hmm. but kind of presented at the time as a star is born performance. I guess I, you know, what's funny is like when you we were at the beginning, when we were kind of listing through that like period where it's like rising star gonna, I, I never made the connection that Colin Farrell and Matthew McConaughey had a similar trajectory. Yes. And like, you talk could, about it. You yeah. could definitely, like, it's almost like mirror images. And like, I remember the McConaughey version of all these movies. And so, like, I feel like a barrel should have done more with it if it was gonna be a star is born. It is selfless. Yes. 
I do I do think also he's slightly handicapped by the script because he's ambitious and ambiguous. Like he could be the one framing Cruz to some degree to the audience. So I think he has to play that like mm. we don't know exactly what direction he's coming from. And so he can't make a choice as much because he's got to be a little bit of a cipher for the audience to like, you know, or else you'll immediately figure out it's Max yeah. von Sydow. Which I saw, and this is Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, but I did see that one of the biggest things Scott Frank did when he came on, because the script had been bouncing around for years before Frank gets his hands on it and really whips it into shape. One of the biggest things he did was not make the Whitmer character the primary antagonist of the movie. To, to reframe it as a character who ends up, you know, growing a moral conscience and coming to the side of good. And I don't know if you've read the short story, Justin. Connor, did you read it? I know you were saying you might. I did. I have read yeah. it. Yeah. The, the short story makes much more of a meal of, is he, is Wimmer, is, is this all a conspiracy just to get this younger guy to replace John Anderton in charge? Yeah. Which there's like a, a, a vestige of that in the movie, right? But it yeah. really just feels like he's an opportunist who's going to, to take advantage of that I, maybe i do kind of wish he was a little slimier in the beginning yeah but i think i don't know if you would buy the of, turn yeah though. it's a servant like, of two masters yeah. Thing, right yeah when you're entering the last act of the film you have to it's it's not that he like grows like a moral compass it's like in the beginning it's he's just skeptical of the ethics of like the idea of pre-crime once the murder actually happens he's he's the only one that actually like knows how to make sense of it because he's dealt with it before and i don't i don't think it posits that like he didn't have that like moral center to him beforehand i think it's like it was a different question of what's right and what's wrong happening at different times in the film my read on the character is that he's just a strict opportunist and he's just coming in he even says this, like, he's like, it's perfect. My job is to find a flaw and that he's just looking for any way he can bust them just to, you know, further his own career. And it is that when an actual murder occurs, even before that, when he's poking around, the detective instincts start to kick in and he starts to care more about actually solving the case this is a question and i i, I rewound it i watched this like four times i'm trying to place it and i think i think this is actually the best moment of performance he gives do we think he realizes he's fucked up by telling max foncito there's there's a, a a quavering in his voice as he finishes up the monologue I do. I yeah. I, I was and thinking the same exact thing you were. I was thinking like it, it reminded me of. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like explaining something to somebody, and then as you're explaining it, it starts to make more sense to you, and then yeah. you realize you yeah. shouldn't be explaining it to this person as you're letting it go. And I think he has the same. I think he comes to the same realization. I think again, what makes that seem so shocking is like you, unless unless you're like you know, as a casual viewer, not the way we just watched this film, but to the casual first time viewer, I, I think you forget that like the precogs are not at play anymore. And I think that's yes, what makes it so yes. shocking. Yeah. Is no, that, I like, did. I, I totally did. He yeah, would same. never, he would yeah. never be at risk. And then it's like, it's revealed in such a horrifying <laughs> way that like, oh, this is the actual, this is the one time that you shouldn't be saying these things yeah. like on, I, in a one-on-one situation at all. I just love that he plays it so tight. 
you know, like it, yeah. it feels like an actual human reaction and, you know, God love him, but Cruz would play that to the rafters yeah. because, because that's what Cruz understands. Right. And it's, it, too. it's, it's almost a different game. And I, I guess this is my thesis is that I feel like we see this movie Colin Farrell figure out that he doesn't want to be a movie star. Well, that I he wants to be a serious a fun actor. read of it. Yeah. That's you my read of this performance. You know, what's interesting is that both of them, you know, I made these comparisons, these superficial comparisons with the films that they, yeah. they've been in, but there is something to the point that like both of them learn how to act through working and they didn't go to drama school. They didn't spend like years in a, in a, in a theater group somewhere like working yeah. on their craft. Like they, they learn how to act like while actually like going out and work and, and appearing in front of the camera. I think from what we've seen in these early films for Farrell is that he's more interested in like the subtleties of getting behind a character. And you watch like all those early, all those early films for Cruz and like, it's what you love about Tom Cruise, but like, he's interested in like the winding up the energy and, and letting the energy, like just go rampant from, from outside, like from inside to out, you know what I mean? I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. No, it yeah. does. And, and I also think that they're both like just naturally incredibly charismatic people who you can kind yeah. of see figure out how to act on screen. Because like, I don't yell at me, Justin. Mm. It's not the best performance of the world in Top Gun, right? It's it's a lot of just sheer instinct in Top Gun. It's instinct. I mean, it's instinct and just shot. Like he's playing it to the rafters. Yeah, but like Kilmer, Kilmer is like Kilmer and Edwards are like capital A acting. Yes, I would. I would agree with that. Tom is working. I would also say, like, I think when they're just like, I want to go back to something about Farrell in this movie is like, I don't remember all the ones he did before, but like, I also think this is the first time he's dealing with a really cinematic director who's moving and shooting him wider. And like, Carol? I think, he, yeah, it's like, I think he feels a little uncomfortable. Like I actively noted that he doesn't know what to do with his hands. Like, I feel like he's the first yeah. time he has a wider space and the cameras are moving. And like, it's like, you know, Tom Cruise brings a lot of energy. And I think Farrell doesn't yeah. quite know what to do in this sweep. Like, even in that elevator scene, the way the camera moves from the it's, like wide to the medium close up. I think he's probably, this is, he, he hasn't done like a green screen movie yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? It is. I mean, it's hard. And this is this is still nascent for that whole thing. You know, everyone's figuring this out. (laughs) Not everyone is Bob Hoskins. So few people Uh, have done green screen. Yeah. Um, But like, just to touch on that, Justin, Mm. like Tigerland, which you said you hadn't seen, right? Tigerland is a beautiful movie. It, it looks incredible but that's joel and even if it's not like ostentatious like joel is it's yeah. actually this very very pseudo documentary thing that is joel schumacher like building the frame around the beauty of colin farrell in I, so many ways I, and i i think you're right about this that this is this is not a colin farrell vehicle this is a tom cruise vehicle yeah yeah, I, I, I am thinking now he is kind of lost in some of these shots. I think. Well, because I, I just when I think of him before this movie, I think of like tighter shots. Like mm-hmm. he's not even he's not doing the 45 second like oneers that Spielberg yeah. like goes. To, and like and that just has got to be not to mention the green screen part. But just like if you're not used to that much space and he has no theatrical background. Yeah, that's going to be really like just you just not quite because he's very still. He like he very much frames himself up. He doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't have that looseness that we'd come to know that I think he just got 
via overdoing a craft. And now yeah. that I said it, I'm wondering because I think if we're in agreement that the scene where his death scene is his the the time he gets to show off the most and he actually yes. nails most of the stuff he's trying to do, that looks like a real set, you know, with real props I, out in front of him. I think he's, more of when this he dies, he sets. slides against a wall that looks yeah. like it's yeah. a very re- real wall. I I think I I understand that like. I don't want to say it's the same yeah. as the Hobbit where I just every single thing like in sight is blue. I understand that like yeah. Spielberg's a very tactile filmmaker and there's at least props like tables out in front of mm. them and stuff. But that set that is the what I don't know what they call it, whatever the office room yeah. is like yeah. aside the temple that has to be almost like three, six or at least like 180 around them blue screen. I don't I know. Think so. I think it's more of a set than you think it is because the, the tech is not there for these environments to be that fully digital. And I think you can see the digital environments in this movie when they come out, just because this is a beautiful looking movie, but the curse of CGI is that it ages poorly. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think contrast any of the interiors with the big exterior car chase or all the stuff running down the, the weird alleyway that looks like yeah. a cartoon, <laughs> yeah. which I like. I like that that alleyway looks like a cartoon. I do think actually probably a lot of Collins non-action stuff yeah. um, is probably on sets. And I think he acquits himself actually very well in the action scenes, even if it is obviously a stunt double. It looks like the... That alleyway looks like the alleyway from the Tim Burton Batman. That's all I that, thought the same thing. Yeah. Oh, I, I was like, they're probably in Pinewood. Looks, yeah, yeah, probably. That alleyway looks like a Ralph Bakshi movie, is, is yeah. what I was thinking. Yeah. Did they yeah, shoot yeah. this at Pinewood? They had to shot this at Pinewood. Probably. Right? I God, do what want to. I have, I have one, I have some tidbits about this movie that. Oh, please. Story, but for, the one thing I have to talk about is it to me, I think of this movie, there's one beat, and you guys might feel differently, that I think is honestly. Farrell's worst bit of acting he's ever done is in this movie, which is when oh, he pounds the fist. Well, I haven't seen this, but when he pounds the fist, <laughs> it feels like he didn't want to do it. Like I feel like that was a director request <laughs> when he like you know he gets out of the car and they share and he just goes like it just yeah. I never buy that moment. And that was a classic example of me like he's not a movie star yet. Like that's a thing that like Tom he's, like a movie star can do. I get, he's well, getting that's the hang question. of it though. Because he's yeah, getting when he puts the gloves star. on, he's yeah, he gets the um the screen Absolutely. uh his, gestures, right? Oh my yeah. god, his 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 pantomime yeah. acting in this movie is great because of how shitty it is. Because you know, when when Tom when Anderton gets up there and is basically conducting these digital holograms in space (laughs) it's so effortless and so beautiful and Whitner is so like again it is it is clearly a choice on Colin's part that Whitner is trying too hard to look cool while he does this because he wants to be the new cruise and and in a way kind of like I mean again if we want to read this as like a, a meta text about the relationship between these two men like kind of deciding over the course of the movie that he doesn't want to be the next Anderton. He doesn't want to be. Cool. I like this reading of the movie that he's like, yeah. I, yeah, I'm no. out. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, a thought I am starting to have, and I want to throw this out to you, Connor. This is an idea. I have a long tangent um, that I might want to. Yeah, yeah no, that's no. fine. But, yeah. but just, this is, this is more broadly something we should be thinking about for the next like four months. Really. I think until we get to in Bruges, was Colin Farrell ever actually a movie star? Because like you said, the popular understanding of his career 
is that he has the movie star run when he's like this young hedonistic playboy. He it craters out. He goes to rehab. He comes back and he's a serious actor within Bruges. But if you think about it, a the in Bruges is actually the start of a major fallow period in his career. Like he doesn't really come back and be an established, you know, art house leading man until the lobster seven years later. What what in Bruges actually kickstarts is a crazy character actor run. But my other yeah. take is. Okay, he was a movie star until Miami Vice. But if you think about it, it's a bunch of movies that flop. It's a bunch of movies where he's second fiddle. And then for every SWAT in Miami Vice, he actually headlines. What he's actually headlining are movies like Home at the End of the World, Ask the Dust, Alexander. Like he's immediately trying to position himself as a serious actor. Even if he's not there yet, we will talk about Alexander a disastrous performance. That's the problem film. I think yeah. that's the, I yeah. think before we get too far ahead of ourselves, I think Alexander is the one, when you look at his filmography, Alexander is the one that's supposed to be like the inauguration of Colin Farrell, the, the Colin Farrell, the movie star that you will go to the movies to see a yes. Colin Farrell movie. And that movie flops so hard that it derails that entire like trajectory that was possible for him. In, I mean, yeah. I, I was going to say is that, he's not a movie i, I go I go, yeah. I go along with it like, yeah. because like he never made like to use the comp i made from earlier matthew mcconaughey matthew mcconaughey opened up shitty movies to big box office yes. at some point and that to me is the or at least took a mediocre movie and elevated it to something everyone loves which when you're in the where he became more of a character actor he made in bruges it's incredible but like that's the source material also like i think like i always think of like what we lost with chadwick with 21 bridges which is like the sign of a movie star raising something from it was fine they're like this is kind of great and i just feel like Farrell never got that my my line has always been that a movie star is anyone who can open a movie strictly on ac- actor plus scenario right uh, which player. is why i think we like to say that there are no movie stars anymore and which is why i always like to say that seth rogan was the last movie star because <laughs> uh, he kept that running but i mean but I, I don't I don't necessarily know, and this is going to be a, a journey for us, Connor, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe shooting the premise of this podcast in the foot, though I do think it still covers the arc of movie stardom over the last 20 years. Well, but I think that's just the being, way we've been describing yeah, yeah. things. But, but the, the podcast definitely started as him being like, is, the, is he not a movie star because he can't do it or because he doesn't want to do it? Well, or is it both? I'll I'll very quickly throw out yeah. the argument that like if you look at his interviews, he seems interested in having a good time, but maybe not interested in movie stardom, if that makes sense. Yes. Like he's not going to shoot down, he's not going to throw out the perks of being a celebrity, especially at that early time in his life. I mean, <laughs> can we can we touch on it on this one? Maybe a little, but I think I think when you listen to him, it's like he is genuinely interested in becoming the best actor that he can possibly yes. be. And he's interested. And it, when when we get to later films, it's clear that he's interested in having good working relationships with his directors and giving them what they want from him. You know what I mean? I think that's what makes yes. him feel the most fulfilled. I don't think I, he definitely had a, at one time there was a trajectory set up for him to become a movie star. But I don't necessarily know if 
Colin Farrell, the individual separate from all the commerce of Hollywood, if that's the tra- trajectory that he would feel most comfortable being on. So I just I just want to touch on this now, just because it there's no real good episode to touch on it, but I do think it's just an important context. Now to like 2005, 2002, 2005, Colin Farrell is a notorious party animal, like <laughs> constantly in the tabloids. Obviously, now looking back, we know that he had, and I think it's going to get worse from my report on, he had a really, really destabilizing alcohol and heroin addiction that that he needed to overcome. But I just want to say, when you say Colin Farrell liked the perks of being a movie star, <laughs> a list of women that Colin Farrell was publicly dating during this three-year period, Britney Spears. Play my model, Nicole Moraine, who he makes the sex team with, yeah. Angelina Jolie, Demi Moore, and this is the big one, Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> yeah. He was out on the town with a woman three times his age because mm-hmm. he is cool. Yeah. Just, I mean, I don't ahead. want – it's I, I struggle so much to talk about this stuff because, like, he's obviously a man that we love and someone we respect highly or else we mm-hmm. wouldn't be doing this, you know? Yeah. Um, but when you watch, especially the Hearts War interviews, and then you watch some of the interviews for this film, um, especially ones that are on television, I think it's a little shocking. Like he's definitely has something in, he's intoxicated by something in most I of I mean, interviews. It, yeah. we will yeah. say this, he had a very bad heroin addiction. Yeah, like yeah. that is, and I, I don't want to treat it lightly. I do want to say, and maybe I'm wrong, but I've never heard stories about Colin Farrell acting poorly to women in his life and i think especially when you talk about someone with that bad of a drug problem who's that much of a womanizer th- that that speaks well to their character i think there was a twitter thing going around like two weeks ago where just a bunch of strippers were like swapping stories about basically they were really like who are the bad celebrities you've had to deal with and i saw just reading through all these mm. tweets and replies i saw colin get cited by multiple women as like good when he walked in the door like he was respectful he spent like crazy um and and like i I don't know i just think that speaks well to a person's character yeah you Um, know it's i think uh how outspoken he's been about it in public too i mean and we'll get to that because we're years off from the advocate for living a clean lifestyle that he will become i think like it's very he's just a commendable person i don't know how else to put it other than that like yeah i he's one of my favorite even before we started this podcast he was one of my favorite people to watch like show up on late night television i would watch the youtube clip the next day Yeah. yeah he seems so he seems very courteous of like everybody he interacts with he seems like genuinely caring again like that the hearts war interview quote that i pulled out last week was like not something you hear from 99% of people in his position, which Justin was essentially, he was speaking about, someone asked him about, like, was it hard shooting Hearts War because they were in Poland in the middle of the winter? And he was like, it was hard, but it's supposed to be hard. And there were like 20,000 extras who didn't have, who were getting paid the amount a week that other movie stars were paying on like toothpaste and stuff like that. And he was essentially saying like, if I'm not struggling alongside those people, what, like, what's the point of him being out there in the first place? And I, I, I just, I think he has like an awareness of 
the privilege that he like found his way into that like a lot of other people in his position just do not have he just seems so human like it's like yeah. it's what, what's he's so flawed and he's so human and he never like tries to hide that like movie stars do try to kind of this image of perfection Tom. it's sort of probably what doomed him is that he was like to go to like an old interview i remember a dinner for five do you guys remember that show mm-hmm. <laughs> And it was, mm-hmm. I think doing, and he was talking, they asked him about Joel Schumacher and like, did the crew, because they were filming in Ireland and Joel Schumacher's queer and like, did the crew get along with them? And he, he's talking about going out and drinking with the grips. Movie stars don't go out and even if, even at the low, they're not drinking with the grips. And he's just like, oh, they fucking love him because he, he's like, he's doing that perfect accent where he's just like, he, he would rap in eight, 10 hours. They were home, able to have a be back at the pub. And like the fact that like, he just like, I think has never not tried to be a human i think and like i think that's what doomed him probably as a movie star but like has kept his career and his acting just keeps getting better and better is that he just keeps figuring out how to connect to that empathy we all see in him yeah well it's funny somebody like tom cruise who grew up undeniably from what i've read grew up in abject poverty abject abject poverty yeah Yeah. but gets to the point He gets to the point where he's so separated from the realities of everyday life for the average human being that like the only person he can play is Ethan Hunt or Maverick. You know, he he's like he's not he's no longer capable of like tapping into that elemental struggle that like normal people have to deal with. I I what I love about people like Colin is like they're they're eternally able to like be aware of that of that humanity like yeah. that normal people have to struggle with on a day to day basis. I don't want to like defend Tom Cruise, the person too hard. Cause I get, I get what, what makes people so upset with him, but like whenever anyone comes with the, like, where's Shelly Miskovich stuff, whenever Tom's doing a thing, I always want to say like, my understanding of Scientology is that Tom Cruise literally lives in an ivory tower, like, functionally staffed by slave labor and may not even know who Zenu is like he is. And that's not good to be clear, but Tom Cruise is completely isolated from free Tom Tom is what you're saying. Anything. I don't even know if I want to say free Tom. I think people assume Tom has a little more culpability in it. it. What it actually is, is that like all his needs have been met since he was young and he is like locked away from ever having to deal with the realities of that at all. And I think he just is in denial about it. And maybe that's why he can like be such a professional on sets sometimes because, you know, that's his famous rep, but that's also why he's so clearly insane. Yeah. And he is clearly insane. He lived a hard life, you know, he did live a hard life, but yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what I'm saying. No, I get, I do understand what you're saying. It's like a lot of people, I think, I think a lot of people put the, uh, you know, I'm not a Scientology expert. I, I know about like some of the stuff that's alleged, but yeah. I haven't done like the Scientology deep dive. I've never really had a reason to. I think a lot of people put the like alleged crimes or or yeah. malpractice of Scientology on Tom Cruise. Uh, while he's not innocent of everything that's going on or allegedly going on, I, I don't, he's like part of the machine. He's yeah, literally exactly. like trapped yeah. in the machinery of it. I I don't necessarily know. And and again, considering like he's someone that has ha- had a rough childhood, has had failed like important relationships in his life that are, no longer exist anymore. I is, I I don't yeah. know. Like you have to have some kind of empathy 
for like the position that like he's found himself in, I think. <laughs> so to change the subject and Justin, yeah. I can, I can cut this if you don't want to answer yeah. this question. Sure. Um, just have you ever heard from anyone or talked to anyone who's ever worked with Colin Farrell? Like, yes. Well, I, uh, I, yes. And I've heard nothing but good things. Okay. That was so. going to be my question is like, cause, cause, cause I know you're in LA, mm, you're, yeah. you're in the industry. I, well, I just want to know if you do any like rep stuff that circulates more in I've private, nothing but public. nice things. But the story I want to tell is, so I went to uh, Columbia college in Chicago for film school. And Janusz Kaminski was a graduate from there. Yes, there is a shrine to Janusz in the film building. As there should be. Somebody who didn't go there. (laughs) (laughs) So my directing teacher had also gone to school and was friends with Kaminski, like when they Mm -hmm. were in college together. So he got to go to the set of Minority Report and he told us a bunch of stuff that went on because the sequence he went to was the scene at the car plant, that whole like sequence. And the most interesting thing he said was like, there's a lot of just like how Spielberg works that I was fascinated by, but was that original to go back to like Colin already having problems. He was planning to do a lot of his own stunts Mm -hmm. for that sequence and just kept being late to set. And they started to use the stunt double. And it's like, that's the, I mean, and I was like, that's the beginning of like, that's the worst thing I've heard about him. And like, it's in the grip of addiction is what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, I think you can tell it's his double in a lot of that stuff because it is just like it's a lot of close-ups and it's a lot of running really fast off in the distance. Um, and I did want to, hmm. Justin, when I asked you to be on this podcast, you were kind of dithering between this movie and The Recruit. Yeah. And I kind of pressured you to be on this. And yeah. it's actually, it's because I wanted to have the Janusz conversation with you yep. specifically, because we are both alumni of the same mm-hmm. school of that produced Janusz Kaminski and everybody else. Um, <laughs> Kanye West. Um, that's not true. That is not Lena true. <laughs> I, because I kind of famously, I just said, I don't know if we've ever had this conversation. Mm. I kind of famously hate Janusz Kaminski. Oh, do you? I don't know if you guys know this, but he's my dude for sure. He's clearly a menace to society. Um, and it's 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 in his work, or do you mean in his work? In his work, I'm sure he's a nice person. It's not so much that nothing he has ever done in his career has been motivated ever. Like, I don't necessarily care about that. I like Douglas Sirk movies. Um, it's that he makes these like ridiculous, insane, completely unmotivated choices and the movies look bad for it. Like, I feel like when I think of Janusz Kaminski, I think of these completely sourceless eternal sheens that like coat the actors and make them like look like Barbie dolls almost in a way. West Side Story is the worst example of this where that movie looks like a cartoon. Um, But every so often Janusz, I think, goes so hard in the paint that it warps back around and looks good. I think this movie looks amazing. Is yeah. it's my build up to this. Well, uh, it looks uh, it looks so much better than War of the Worlds. Oh, you know, Christ, which is yeah. I guess the comparable Cruise Spielberg sci-fi yeah. epic. Yeah. It was I want like I I'll, I'll double back to Kaminsky because like yeah I I was like watching it in media I was like wow this bleach bypass really dates it to a specific time but it also looks like something versus just white light cast across everything so yes it's the it's the bleach bypass of it all and i think the hyperseptic set design i think that that it because it is so hyper stylized that the pools of lights 
it start inverts to work film in his noir favor. too. Like right, yeah. like it's like it's like oh, yeah. we're gonna make it's like instead of dark shadows, we're gonna have bright white light doing the An same explosive- effect. And then it, it, it pulls back and forth depending on the spaces sometimes. And also that I believe they shot this on Super 35 just to like crank the grain yeah. higher. I think I saw a quote that Janusz said that Spielberg wanted this to be the ugliest movie he ever made, which it is in a way. Yeah. But in a beautiful way. I love, I mean, I love a good beast police bypass, Justin. I don't know about you. I do. Like, well, it's like, I mean, again, it's like one of those things where like, is this going to come back? I mean, my, my problem with like. Digital. <laughs> Yeah, but like that's the thing. I think that's the thing with West Side Story is like the farther we've pushed into the even even if they're shooting on film, like everything has a digitally timed color correction to it. And I think that's like I think that's where a lot of these issues with like the modern look of even like the modern look of very expensive shot on Kodak film stock films like still don't look great because of that where where this movie gets to have flaws in its color palette you know i think especially of the scene where um uh morton and cruz are in the shopping mall and the highlights are like so explosive that it's the opposite of the some shots in the godfather aren't fully exposed problem where the the white hurts to look um and then the hard it's like it's so great it's so great, the hard way it cuts when the flashback at the swimming pool and the colors are much more balanced. It hurts your eyes, like it in hurts a great your way eyes. eyes. Yeah, like I, I right now I'm in color correction on something, and it's the it instinct sucks. for everyone is just to take like to just like to lo- lose all the lows and highs and just. Like, I hate just, it. I know. I'm like I argue now. Like I mean, I'm going to go up on a sideways right. I'm like. I want to bake in Lutz now just so there's no like they're like and so we have to force ourselves into something because it's mm-hmm. just like it it's ruining how things look like and like when you watch Minority Report you're like oh yeah you could just kind of not make things perfect and let it spike and let this like it doesn't actually have to fit in the uh, in the waveform like right yeah. in, directly yeah. in the middle you know it's we've yeah, no one about. no one does c- color in Hollywood movies these days unless mm-hmm. unless it's someone who's doing a lot of stuff on set like Wes, yeah. like obviously, um, and obviously even Wes made a movie that is mostly in black and white and looks, right. and but it's also like maybe the only person to ever figure out black and white digital color correction mm-hmm. in Grand Boot and um, Friends Dispatch. But I was like, I mean, just one of the things uh, that struck me so much about After Sun. Justin, do you see After Sun? I'm not seeing it. It's, I'm, I'm yeah. seeing it next week. Connor, did you see After Sun? I haven't seen it either. Just the, yeah. that, that because so much of that movie is shot on period, you know, 20-year-old uh home video cameras early dv that that it can have blown out colors you know it's just it's just so so weirdly refreshing to see that because people did shit like this all the time when you had to do chemical color correction Mm. which is ostensibly harder right i've never worked with it i don't know if you have justin i've i did it once in film school and it's fuck it's like past my knowledge of understanding how to do things and like but you see it like you know you i I'm like miss the bleach bypass era, the three things, the, the Spike Lee era, the like with it, like all these filmmakers having fun, and now we're just like, ah, just. Sort of I saw I saw like a retrospective piece on this that Connor like man, I don't remember which one, mm-hmm. where someone was just like, oh, they're just ripping off the seven look in Minority Report, and, I was like, oh. <laughs> and they're no, they're <laughs> taking the seven look to hell in Minority yeah. Report, <laughs> because what better way to make? And this is why, like, I kind of hate Dark City. Um, the the Alex Price film, uh, because that movie looks too good. You know what I'm saying? 
I just, that, that movie, I that movie is so sumptuous. I'm not a it's huge su- fan of that film. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a hellscape. And yeah. this movie in its like ostensible beauty and like hyper corporate everything, right? That like well, all these the hellscape for sure. All these sets are so sleek. Everyone's so impeccably tailored. You're ostensibly in a, a post-crime utopia. That is the, 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 the truth this movie is presenting to you. And from Jump Street, that it looks rotten, that it looks like the, the, the print was struck incorrectly, just so locks you in to what is going to be a descent into paranoia. If if I don't like Janusz, it's because I know he can make a movie that looks like this, and I feel like too often he's just fucking around. I well, also, it's but, an obvious point, but yeah. this is a film about people who are uh, who are exposed at all times due to the technology of the surveillance. So it's like it's an obvious yeah. point to overexpose yeah. the way that they exist within the the world of the film. It's also not. My my understanding, Justin, is that a bleach bypass on like a literal technical level functionally is that they're they're fucking with the exposure such that a black and white image is literally yeah. overlaid on the so memory. Sometimes they flash of, the, it before you yeah. film on it and then yeah, or the memory of film noir is in every shot of this movie, literally. Yeah. Uh but yeah. I just wanted to say this year at the Oscars, 2002. Um, this movie gets one Oscar nomination for sound editing. Fine, which it loses. But I just wanted to read you guys the uh, the best cinematography nominees from this year. The people who are not Janusz Kaminski who are up for it. Okay. So it goes to Conrad Hall, a legend for Road to Perdition. A legend had just passed away. That's right. That's right. You know, I'm not mad about that. Chicago, Dion BB for Chicago is in there. That movie Dion looks. BB shot Chicago. Dion BB shot Chicago. That's why Chicago looks like fucking great. Wow. That's um, that movie looks great. It's the best picture winner. I'm not <laughs> upset. What I'm upset about are the other three nominees for best yeah. cinematography aren't Janusz Kaminski. Ed Lockman from Far From Heaven. Yeah. A movie that looks like ass. A movie that is is riffing on some of the most beautiful movies ever made and looks like shit. Uh, the same year Ed Lockman makes Ken Park, by the way, which is a great movie mm-hmm. uh, that I think people forget he directed. Bauhaus for Gangs in New York, the ugliest Scorsese movie. Mm, yeah. And uh, Edelman for The Pianist, a movie that looks like a TV show. I'm sorry. I don't think I've ever. I mean, I think I saw it when it came out. That's I have no like, idea. What wh- why like. can we not give Janusz a nomination? Here is my question. Here's something I know that's interesting. Is Hit that me. Scorsese wanted John Us for Gangs of New York, oh. and Spielberg has him on retainer that he cannot work with any other directors. So that's interesting. Other, that may have changed over time, but for the '90s and 2000s, Spielberg personally paid Kaminsky to just work on his movies, so he wouldn't go work with any other directors. The only movie he does in that time that's not Spielberg is The Diving Bell and The Butterfly. He does Diving on the Butterfly, which actually breaks like a 10-year streak of not getting an Oscar nomination. Right. Um, and then he also does, he famously does Funny People. But that's like, wait, uh, that's like 2009? Yeah. Then? And okay. then, yeah, so it, you're right. You're right. I am looking at this from The Lost World in 97 yeah. to Diving Bell on the Butterfly in 2007. Yeah. Janusz only makes Spielberg movies and he does all of them. And I think, and I think Scorsese flirting with Richardson is what he wanted to be using Kaminsky is like what I think like because they start I know they did Casino but like I think Aviator feels like 
Aviator feels like I think Richardson's a far superior cinematographer. You think? But I, they do have a similarity that you can see, sure. like that he wanted Kaminsky's, like him using love... Richardson. Yeah, at Richardson's some point, Scorsese, like I was, I was watching uh, the cinematographer roundtable from Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when the Hateful Eight came out, and Richardson says that, like. I don't remember which one was the first Scorsese one like he didn't do after his run with Scorsese, but he's like, they showed up and Scorsese was like, it's too much. It's too much. I can't work with you. And he just fired him like on the spot and hired another cinematographer. They've never worked together since. Notorious prick, Richardson, by the way. Like, notorious. Sure. I mean. Let's the camera go and expects his AC to pull it. Okay. I don't want to say you're forgiven for that, but but I am going to say that JFK and the Good Shepherd look fucking insane. And he shot the only good-looking Quentin Tarantino movie, which is The Hateful Eight. We're not going to have to do We're not going to cool. I'm just not even. We're going to back. So, okay, I have, I have a Colin Farrell, Tom Cruise question for you guys. Yeah, hit us. From this movie. Did Tom, I feel like I'm backwards bringing in Tom Cruise stuff to this, but like, did Tom Cruise feel very asexual standing next to Colin Farrell, who just radiates a sexual charisma? One, yes. And I think you're right that Colin is... Connor, is this the hottest we've seen Colin so far? I think it is. I think the beginning of Tigerland when they're in the bar. Maybe. Might be. I, yeah. I, think, I feel like he's put on a, a smidge of weight here. Not in a bad way, but it feels like he's like... Well, he's wearing a suit. Baby you know? so he's wearing a suit. Yeah. The hair is beautiful. I, I just love that like little swoop of hair he's got. So no um, similarity between them. Very versatile yeah, hair. Yeah, you know? very, very. Uh, yeah. Famously, the thing I always think about with this movie, when I do remember that Colin Farrell said this, is that Tom Cruise calls Colin Farrell a twink. I, uh, I thought in, of you immediately when that in this movie, <laughs> which not to get myself in trouble, but I do think that is the closest Tom Cruise has ever come to acknowledging the concept of homosexuality, <laughs> despite having starred in three of the gayest studio films ever made. Uh, I the, It just boggles my mind that Tom Cruise was ever, and this to me speaks to his imperial thing, because I, the man has been dogged with gay rumors his entire career, right? right. It, it just boggles my mind that there was a point in his life where he felt comfortable saying the word twink. And I think that speaks to how bulletproof he is. Yeah. To say nothing of the fact that he will do an interview with the vampire and an eyes wide shut and kind of coyly play with the gay stuff. Top Gun, the other third one. Yeah, yeah the, of course. The, the, but Top Gun, I don't. He's not I aware of what Tony Scott. I don't think he knows what it's what's happening in Top Gun. He definitely is the one doing it in Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. Um, and I can say that because. That movie, I think, if you want to make the gay reading of Eyes Wide Shut, I actually think there's a lot to dig into there, and that is very nuanced. And uh, Stanley Kubrick is a flaming homophobe, and his other movies do not indicate that sort of nuance towards gay people. <laughs> uh, I hate Stanley Kubrick, but I love Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say about Farrell, that like to go back to his movie starness, and I was like, it's part of why he's so hot is that he's so untrustworthy. Like, like that's also what sort of do, his eye, like you just, I never, yeah. you never believe him the way you believe Denzel or uh, Tom, even he's, Tom Cruise. There's, there's a, no honesty and it's part because he's so fucking sexy. The oh. Denzel thing I think hits on it because Denzel. Also sexy. 
incredibly sexy. But but Denzel is a great actor. Right. Maybe the best we've ever had. He is also maybe the best movie star we've ever had. And I'm sorry to Tom Cruise to say mm-hmm. that, but I think Denzel gets points for taking more chances. I don't think you have to does. be sorry for saying that. Yeah. I think Tom Cruise must know. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, Tom Cruise Denzel's knows. also it's, directed films, you know. Yeah. I mean, we don't need to speak about uh Tom Cruise has also directed a movie called Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> um, everyone in this in this Zoom chat knows it. I just thought, uh, why did he put his name on it when it's that he's, obvious? It's a control thing, I think. I yeah. think he likes to be thought of as a good collaborator. And I think he is, my understanding of Tom is that I think he is still a good collaborator if your name is Christopher McQuarrie. Is it but, like a fall guy type of thing too? Like if it if or Lyman actually people had really issues likes with uh, if people had issues with Maverick, then he's like, yeah. well, I didn't direct the movie. Yeah, people I think that I think that's it. probably I think, you're, I think you're onto something there. It's it's scary. It has to be scary to do that, right? To to be to be an actor of that stature and to to make the leap to directing. Denzel's almost lucky that people aren't aware that he's made more than one movie. Uh, the director. Yeah, as a director, he's made four movies. Yeah, he has a, he one, a, right? What? The debate, the great debaters, is that him too? Antoine Antoine Fisher, right after his Oscar, mm-hmm. great debaters, a couple years later, which people like Fences, which is the only one that sticks, and even then, he has. Do you guys know about the Denzel Washington and August Wilson thing? That like he produced Ma Rainey. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and he is basically and, said, uh, um, he's he's trying John to David. The, sorry, on so, Broadway. Yes, the piano lesson John David yes. started it like this yes. summer or this, um, he's this trying to get the piano lesson off the ground right now Denzel is um, I, last I heard he wanted Barry Jenkins to do it but Jerry, Barry Jenkins did not want to do it which is a heartrending crime against cinema that that's not happening but I, I think it's interesting that Denzel has made it very clear he wants to bring all 10 of the August Wilson plays to the screen and he does not seem interested in directing any of them after after the one that was a huge hit for him but he made the fucking michael b jordan iraq war movie yeah that came uh, out last year that no one saw with Shantae adams like oh, but yeah what's that like do people uh, uh, do people who, for jordan do people yeah. who have seen it think it's good no movie? one saw it <laughs> i have no, no idea one, if it's a good movie or that not. i think you're making up a movie now like i'm like yeah it <laughs> opened opposite uh spider-man 3 the most recent Spider-Man three, I swear to God, it opened. At, I also like you know revamp of COVID right at that time. Yeah, that's yeah, when that was Omicron right was when COVID coming. was coming. Right but back. To, yeah. to get back to my point, Denzel's it's, established. Denzel has had two Oscars, one two Oscars. Yeah. Denzel still is carrying himself as like a serious director when he makes Antoine Fisher. Yeah. There's a huge difference between Denzel doing that at that point in his career. And Tom Cruise now at 60 <laughs> being like, Tom I'm God. finally going to direct. I, I said this to you, Connor, on I think our first episode, but I think Tom Cruise now in 2023 is a very cowardly artist. Um, and yeah. obviously he's incredibly willing to put himself in physical danger, but the past five years, he has only worked with two directors and they're two people who can very clearly sublimate themselves to him. And two or three. Past five years, he's only yeah. worked with Kaczynski and um, McQuarrie. And Not McQuarrie, I'm pretty Lyman. sure. No, because I'm cutting it off after American Made. Okay. 
Like American Made feels like the last time he took a real risk as an it artist. Didn't work and Lyman's out. Like it didn't Lyman's work. supposed well, no, to be directing he's, the, uh, he's, the space yeah. shuttle movie. Right? But uh, I, yeah. I can't see anyone letting Doug Lyman shoot a movie in space. <laughs> that is <laughs> that just it end up costing like it would end up costing the amount of the entire Avatar franchise. That's how Tim. That's how Tom dies. Is in space. Yeah, so but 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 Tom clearly like. I think it was a growing thing post when he starts working with Macquarie and I love the Macquarie collabs. They're all of them are terrific except for Maverick, which is fine. Um, but but that's not Macquarie. Used... It's Macquarie. He wrote it. No, he wrote it. Oh, he did. No, he wrote... That's what I'm saying. The I would Macquarie... say he's the ghost director of that movie even more. I didn't know. Yeah, honestly, yeah, probably. No, see, that's my thing is if he was the ghost director of that movie, that movie be better. would be better. Okay. Um, but I think it is the ghost I think that movie has an incredible screenplay and I'm not mad at that script nomination. I kind of think it looks like shit. Um, especially against I, the original. Especially against the original, a movie where you actually see exterior shots of airplanes. <laughs> um, but my point, my point with Tom is that from Ghost Protocol on, when he first starts working with Macquarie, he gradually gets less and less comfortable to take the sort of risks that he used to take. Like, he is no longer the guy who will make Eyes Wide Shut. He is no longer the guy who will make Interview with a Vampire. He is no longer the guy who will give the performance we see in Minority Report. But at the same time, he's not going to make Jack Reacher either. Even at this point, Jack Reacher is too much of a bridge too far. The Mummy would be too much of a bridge too far for him right now. The Mummy is really the last big risk he takes, you know? It's it's him trying to... The inception of a franchise. Yeah. Yeah. And he's really bad in The Mummy. I have to say. Can I've never I bring up something about Minority Report? Yeah. That yeah. I find bad. interesting. I think at this point, well, the biggest films in his career, or in a retrospective sense, I think the films that are looked at closely, Eyes Wide Shut and Jerry Maguire and um, Vanilla Sky, obviously, mm. even Magnolia, I think they, they, they're they all like metatextually aware of like the inherent weirdness to Cruz as yes. like a public figure and mm. they're playing on those like on those feelings that people already had about Tom Cruise but not at this point in time we're like as outspoken as they're going to be around like 2005 2006 um but I think this movie I think it's a little jarring on a first watch because it it's it's one of his few like action starring roles that doesn't really like play with that metatextual awareness and i think it takes you a while to like get a hold of john anderton the character and not like tom cruise like the movie star starring as john anderton the character it's, in the film. it's a That's different metatextual yeah. reader reading i would it is it is but it's a lot more straightforward it's a yeah. lot it's a lot more of a straightforward performance of the character and not as much like not as much an experiment of inserting tom cruise yes. into the film as the character if yes you get what i'm saying this yeah. the, the metatextual reading of this one is one that only can exist in uh in hindsight because th- this is a movie about what's going to lead tom cruise to jump on the couch you know what i'm saying yeah, like yeah. that 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 th- this is a movie about how close if, if vanilla sky is a movie about how there is nothing to Tom Cruise, right? And Eyes Wide Shut is also a movie to some degree about how there is nothing to Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is strictly an idea. There is there is no Patrick yeah. Bateman in a way. Yeah. Uh, 
this is a movie and my and collateral i think is the other one this is a movie that's like there is something to tom cruise and it's pure psychotic it that he is like having to keep locked in he's actually the most emotional man who's ever lived do you i i kind of agree with connor on this in that like okay in that like spielberg then a couple years later cast him as a regular guy and that to me such a that to me means he a did dock not, worker yeah sure and like, and like and i wish that movie was doing something with that but I it's think not that's an interesting performance <laughs> i don't think it's a good performance it's but you, strange connor, yeah connor do you want to do not rush more now just to get yeah. it out of the way because i think it's this is a good time um yeah okay okay um we're gonna insert a couple of rules so cole sure. and i are each gonna have one veto for the yeah, remainder so- of the show but the only one. way we can get more vetoes, if I use my veto, Cole gets another veto. Okay. okay. So if Justin, I have zero, I have to wait for Cole to use a veto yeah. to get one back. I yeah. like that. Justin, okay. just to clarify this, because yeah. we, we did this last week. So you're, okay. We're going to collectively, as, a, as, as, a, as the three of us, yeah. we're going to build the Mount Rushmore of Tom Cruise performances. So, so four, are we only doing four? Or is we're, yeah. doing four, four Mount Rushmore? Okay. we're doing four collectively. You get the first pick. You get the last pick. Okay. We have a break glass in case of emergency veto in Fair. the events that you pick far and away. I okay. did. Uh, you did one. You did one less. We uh, both did two last time, but we said because. No, no, but you, I said you did pick one last time. Right? Yes, I did pick one, but I think okay, Justin so... should get, I think Justin should get pick one, pick four. You get pick two. I get pick three. Okay. I mean, I had pick two last time. Then I'll get pick two. You get pick three. I'm just, it doesn't matter okay. to me. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna but pick one if, that I f- feel that I think this is enshrined. Will... We're never gonna redo this. Perfect. It's gonna be yeah. This is the Tom Cruise Mount Rushmore, and it's we gonna the, be weird. The Bruce Willis uh, one was the weird. Bruce Willis <laughs> one. What was the Bruce? What was the Bruce Willis Mount Rushmore? It was so I can get Die Hard. Perfect. Death Becomes Her. Okay. The Sixth Sense. Okay. Moonrise Kingdom. Fascinating. Yeah. I don't, I don't it's, even just... it's performances, not movies. Sure. Totally. That makes sense. But this is the the Mount Rushmore Tom Cruise performances. What's your first pick? And wait, I just want to say, I just want to say, it's. I want this to be your pick, not the Mm -hmm. public's pick. You know, this is your pick. Well, I said last week, I I had Die Hard has to be there. Like, way and however you decide it. But man, Die Hard is undeniably the Bruce. You know, follow your heart. We are giving you control of half of this. Okay, I'm gonna go with the movie that I. I think the first, when you asked earlier about Tom Cruise, the movie that I watched the most that made me love Tom Cruise, I think it's the update, the better version of the Top Gun and what he's the first wave of movie star. I'm going to pick A Few yes. Good Men. Oh, I thought you were going oh, with Days wow. of Thunder. That's good. <laughs> I thought of it. I love that. We're going off to a good start. That's yeah. a really fun performance. And yeah. that one's fun because it's kind of the opposite of what we're talking about with Colin. It's put him up with Nicholson. Yep. Right after you did the same thing with him and Hoffman. Right. Right. And I, that's a, he's chewing ooh. gum. He's a full movie star. He's charming as fuck. It's like, it's better than Jerry Maguire. A yeah. billion percent better than Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Man, wouldn't you love to- it if Hearts War was more like, what would it mean for Colin Farrell if Hearts War was more like a if, good man? If he yeah. pops as hard in Hearts War <laughs> as Tom pops in a, in a few good men. What must have that been like when it comes out? Because that's like right after uh, his first Oscar nomination, right? 
Or does he do Far and Away in between? I can't remember. I can't I remember. Think far either. and away is the same year. I think. When is the firm? That's the other one. I was like, the firm is, is like right f- after. The firm that. is ninety four. Okay, the firm I just, is so I just weird, think, man. I know. I just <laughs> what think a weird Tom, movie. I think a few good men, and when he's like playing softball, and he's trying to like get icy to me more to break, and he's like, "Come on, that was damn fun." It's just like everything you want from a it's, movie star. In it's that the scene. argument for Top Gun. It's the argument for Risky Business. Yeah, you know. But I think you're right. And it, it is a delight to hear him make a meal of yeah. that Sorkin dialogue. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Oh, yeah. It's one of my oh, picks. God, Connor, do I have to go next? Yeah, you got it. Number two. It's this. It's Minority Report. Oh, I, I have Minority Report now. It's over two. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, I, I'm sticking with it. It's This is the risk of it, right? Is that I take a shot yeah. and Connor might have been willing to do that. Like I said, and I think we're going to segue into this, but I think this is just such a brave performance for where he is in his career that, and it weirdly, I think hits everything you want out of Imperial phase crews, but not the way you think you're going to want it. And we should loop back to it because I do want to talk about this performance, but I want to complete the Mount Rushmore. So Connor. There's a moment in Minority Report that I think is, his most sincere line reading he has ever given in any film which which one when when agatha is telling them what sean's future <sighs> could have been like i i think that moment for him when uh man i have it written down what he says he says uh he says i want him back so bad and i think that's the most sincere line reading he has ever given in his entire career and i think that that's the best scene in the movie yeah that is the best scene in the movie it's the scene that takes i think all great spielberg films they take the concept whether if it's sci-fi if it's action adventure and the best ones of his like weave in some sublime moment that doesn't feel like it should be there but it's taking the concept to a thousand and that's the moment for minority report we are we are not ending this episode without getting into the samantha martin of it all too i'm just i'm I'm putting a pin in that, but Connor, third slot on Mount Rushmore. Okay. Um, I don't want to name other films. It's way harder with Tom than it was with Bruce. I don't want to name other films. So other than, other than I'll say, if you had asked me, like, if you had asked me like six years ago, I would have been tempted to say Mission Impossible 3, just from the memory of discovering Tom Cruise. (laughs) That's a weird performance. That's a that's it's a war so, of the world performance, movie. dude. I'm convinced they cast uh, Michelle Moynihan just because she looks like an older version of Katie Holmes. But I'll move on. Um, I, I don't know if the timing works in that. I think I'm gonna take. I think I'm gonna. Man, this is so hard. I think Justin might take the one that I'm gonna leave on the table. It's the gamble, right? I think yeah. he might too. Knowing so, Justin, I think I know what he's going for. But so I might be wrong. With- I'm going to go with collateral because he is. Oh, that's what I thought. thought. Okay. That was the one I was ping ponging between minority and collateral. Yeah. For my pick. So thank God that this worked out. He is, he is so, if there's something about Tom Cruise, it's like the intensity behind his eyes that like everybody talks about that you can't get around. And that is that like, just leave it to Michael Mann to be like, (laughs) I'm going to take that intensity. I'm going to make it the scariest person you've ever seen in your entire life. Weirdly human, right? Like that's the trick of that movie is that it's a cartoon character. It's literally like his version of Statham, right? You almost feel bad for him. 
that you he ends the movie like that yeah. story he told he tells at the beginning about yeah. the guy sitting on the train who was dead you know i think i think vincent is more interesting macaulay yeah, yeah like absolutely. i'm just gonna put absolutely. that out yeah, there yeah, yeah, i yeah. think th- that that whole idea of the no attachment super criminal because robert De Niro's not a movie star oh, but the, oh shit <laughs> i i think that's a bridge too far my friend i Did think we could by our I rules think earlier we could uh Okay. You know what's funny? You know what's funny? I'm just gonna say it now, and we'll yeah. talk about it later. I, uh, I'm my my YouTube is just giving me Colin Farrell stuff now. Yeah, of course. Watches so many yeah. interviews and everything, and it was giving me that like short video that came out, um, showing him like the first time he put on the penguin makeup. Yeah, and that it's not so much in the movie, but the first time he has the makeup on, he's he's basically doing a De Niro impression. Oh, he is 100 yeah. percent doing a De Niro impression. I would like to see them work together. I would too. Okay. Justin, you get you get the fourth spot. You get the pull position. Remember, Man, I wonder. I wonder this if he's is Mount Rushmore. This is the one that I left on the this, table now. Oh, this is hard. You can't, you can't assume we're going to pick yeah. up the slack anymore. No. Well, so I, I guess I can name other. I can talk through my process here because, like, collateral was definitely going to be my next one. If I knew that because yeah, I know yeah, you, I mean, and yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. You I know the you and Michael Mann and the you and Tony Scott thing. Yeah. Um. Because like part of me is like I want to represent the different eras and like what I was gonna mix collateral. It's, it's a close, Mount Rushmore. Rushmore. It's a Mount right? Rushmore. But I don't know if you can make a movie. Uh, it's gotta be Eyes Wide Shut, right? Like it. Ha- it like oh, okay. It, yeah. Uh, if you say that, yeah, you said it. It's Eyes Wide Shut. It's, it's Eyes Wide, wide shut. shut. No Magnolia. I'm not using my veto. You're not using your. Veto. I'm not using it. I'm just thinking. No Magnolia on here. I have it written down. I think Magnolia. I think Magnolia. Like the 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 aspect of that performance is he's giving a performance. And I think for that reason, it's difficult to put on. A Interesting. Rushmore. That's what I yeah. like about it. But I think that's the same could be said about eyes by check. Sure. And, I just and think I the think whole movie is an exploration of Tom Cruise. Like, yeah. I wanted yeah. to say vanilla sky. I wanted to be an annoying and be like Jack Reacher. Cause I just wanted. The he's, I, I was, and I love Jack Reacher, <laughs> Jack Reacher, but I had like a short list in my head because obviously I don't know what the two of you are going to pick. Right. Reacher one was on there. I do think I just want to say this. Uh, a few good men instead of Jerry Maguire is the correct choice. Even if Jerry Maguire might have the single best piece of acting of his career, it is not a Mount Rushmore. It does not belong there. The- Cole, yeah. if I said uh, Born on the Fourth of July, would you have vetoed? No, I don't think that's a good movie, but I do think that's a good performance. But I might have vetoed it because of my hatred for Crip Face performances. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Edge of Tomorrow. Like, I was trying to think great. of later. Like, yeah. that's great. I mean, even like, Maverick, I think you could put yeah. on. Yeah, it's yeah. good. But A Few Good Men, Minority Report, Collateral, Eyes Wet Shut. That feels right. You have... Yeah. You have the apex of the pure star wattage, and then you have the three really interesting like pivots. I think I think I I thought I do I do think a lot of people would not put my I think minority report is not seen as a great crew. You guys are making compelling cases. I think he's very good in it, but I think that is the one that's gonna appear the most weird to future guests on it. Like if I have to be honest. But to some to some degree, I think it might be a nostalgia play for me. But rewatching it this time around, it, so I good. think it is it is just such an enthralling live wire of a performance. And like, obviously, he's always a high intensity actor, but this feels like the most high intensity he ever got in a way that I think suits the man on the run tension of it. I think about a movie I love, mm. which is The Fugitive. Sure. But how kind of 
Ford is too collected through, I think, that whole movie. And that that probably is why the movie is such a hit. And that's that is the Harrison Ford magic, right? Is that he is unbothered. Right. Tom Cruise is going to be losing his shit, drinking rotten <laughs> milk, like going from whispering to screaming in like the height of it, doing cool stunts. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a it, it, all in all, like in the end, like it's it's a good performance, I think. And like, it's just such a weird movie. Also, it yeah. proves to get to the because I'm a little short on time to the. Uh, oh, shit. Sorry. No, no problem. I think like out of those four we picked, like Minority Report, pairing him with Samantha Morton or like Collateral, pairing him with Jamie Foxx, actors who are capable of being small, but yeah. giving you this intimacy, I think really balances Cruz out. And I think I think like Samantha Morton in this movie being the opposite actor, I think is so huge to give me a good performance from Cruz because she's the exact opposite of Tom Cruise. Like it's yeah, but small. it's a similarly manic performance, I think. Sure. And I, I, I like that match. Samantha Morton is transcendent in this movie as the primary yeah. precog it's just i she's one of my favorite actresses i don't think i've seen her in anything before then and then i think i had not and like she is she's i mean she's had a career of giving like fantastic performances yeah. but like it's it's so interesting to see like spielberg's eye to know to cast her too like i mean like it's the one thing i think that's always great about his movies is like he gets colin farrell and samantha morton on the way up not at their peaks like you know she, what i love I love that the precogs are fully grown adults and yeah. not children. Yeah. Or like weird physical mutants like they are in the short story. Or like in Akira. Um, like they yeah. could be like the kids from Akira. Which because yeah. in the short story, they're they're very not important to the short story. They are <laughs> they're just they left are, in the machine. <laughs> they, 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 they they never, never come, come out of the machine. <laughs> they only exist to facilitate the existence of precognition. But and Anderton's basically like yeah. what a bunch of weirdos we have in yeah, the machine. It, it does. <laughs> they they aren't even verbal. The the, yeah. the the gimmick in the short story is that they are just babbling, and right. the computers have figured out how to like cross reference the the nonsense they're sputtering. And like mm. run it into a spectrogram or something and get details on a future murder. But there is a, a brief mention of the fact that they are classical mutants, huge brains. Like it's it's that shtick because that short story is from 1956. Okay, but Samantha well. Morton, I mean, it's it's that she can give the like twitchy like out of there. We're not. I shouldn't honestly. say spastic, but I do have cerebral palsy, so I'll say spastic. Um, uh, is it now? semi-incoherent performance but that that she can naturally calm herself over the course of the like 30 minutes she's on the run with him to the point where she can give this totally heartbreaking monologue at the end that you were talking about connor Mm -hmm. and the monologue ends with her just screaming and then she goes louder than anybody has ever yelled before it's it's when she yells run at the end of this movie My, my biggest sympathy to the people who don't like the ending of this movie which I, I don't agree with those people, but I do kind of feel like the movie is never going to top Samantha Martin screaming run for yeah. 30 straight seconds. Yeah. I, it's chilling. I kind of understand. Like, I don't want to say that the ending is bad. I think I, oddly enough, I don't feel this way about like any films. I, yeah. I think minority report could use like an extra 15 minutes to like lengthen out the ending. I think I, the ending just comes too quick. I think that's the issue. Yeah, with it. I was, I was paying attention to like just the time codes as I was watching yeah. it this time. And it is very striking that like 
the flashback to his kid dying comes halfway through this two and a half hour movie. He tracks down. He's like busting Samantha Morton out and finally going to track down uh, Leo Crow, the guy he's supposed to murder when there's only like 40 minutes left of a two and a half hour movie. And I think that's part of it is that a lot of the plot actually is compressed into the third act. Yes. It, I would. Yes. He, the, the, the whole him getting flagged for killing this guy thing happens 40 minutes into the movie. Like the movie really, really, really wants to take its time and have these wonderful action sequences and then just bull rushes through two acts of plot. It's a very front. I wrote that. It's a very front. Like I couldn't get over how many set pieces are in the first hour of that yeah. movie. Like there's like four. I mean, they're all time great set pieces and they're still like, we're not even at the eye sequence and the spiders. And the eye and sequence. A lesser movie would cut the eye sequence. Um, yeah. It would have been quicker. Yeah. It's because it's so grotesque. Yeah. Just, just, but I also like that, like that hotel kind of looks more human than any other space. It does. We've yeah. seen the rest of the movie. I think it could, I, I'm unsure about how I feel about Peter Stormare and love um, it. I, I'm just, I'm unsure, man. I'm out. <laughs> You're know. out. Yeah. I'm out. Oh, it's a, it's a Stormare Michael Bay performance. It For is, sure. But it's that's the problem. <laughs> he and Tim Blake Nelson, I don't really. See, I, can't I don't know how I feel it. about Tim Blake Nelson. They seem to not know what kind of a movie they're in. But yeah, at the same like, time, like there's other weirdness in this movie. Like one of my big, I guess my biggest complaint in this movie is that the other police officers are not menacing in any way whatsoever. Yeah. So like you never yeah. at once feel like he's going to be in trouble if they actually like catch up to him. Um, Cause they're kind of just it, like that first, the, f- again, like that alleyway that looks like the Batman alleyway, that fight kind of happens like the Batman fight. Also, he's like bashing their heads into stuff and they're just kind of like flying around on their jetpacks. And I, I was I just wonder in a real noir, it's like the yeah. henchmen are pretty scary. You yeah. Know? And even the scary henchmen, that's like, I mean, yeah. you do have Max von Sydow's giant head. But McDonough, but like, who has know, the McDonough biggest head of any man could... who's ever lived could do that but he's like such like a sweetie in this movie yeah i just so, say at one point yeah. in the movie Cruz and side hour and frame together and side head is like twice the size of yeah <laughs> i that scene haunts me because i am six four and i feel like do i look like this when i sit next to the normal size people i'm just like you kind of do buddy i know it's a real bummer <laughs> yeah samantha morton do we think there's ever a period because i feel like if this movie had come out now she could have had a shot at getting an oscar nomination Yes. It's too grotesque yeah. for 2002. It's too much of a stunt mm. show almost. But this it is this, this is she right was a I mean, Lupita, Nyong'o. Lupita Nyong'o didn't get one. This is know? true. Yeah. But that movie was kind of seen as a disappointment. That movie's this also movie, That movie is also yeah. much harder to make sense of yeah. than this one yeah. is. Yeah. And this yeah. movie was famously Roger Ebert's number one movie of 2002 really yeah he loved a tom cruise that guy (laughs) he he said and i did i close it i did i had it i had it up here this is what he said this is in his regular review not in his year-end piece but i love this idea this is how he opened his review at a time when movies think they have to choose between action and ideas steven spielberg's minority report is a triumph a film that works on our minds and our emotions it is a thriller and a human story, a movie and of ideas that's also a whodunit. Here's a master filmmaker at the top of his form, working with a star who generates complex human feelings, even when playing an action hero. And like, 
we haven't gotten into the whole implicit 9-11 of this whole movie, which um, I feel like, do you want to say something about it? I was going to, well, I wanted to do 9-11 Mount Rushmore of movies. So. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, let's do this. Let's do the Spielberg one. Yeah. Oh, let's yeah, do the Spielberg Mount Rushmore. The, Okay. Best Spielbergs. Well, I yeah, just wanted to impossible. say, just to touch onto this. No, let Cole finish it. Many, yeah. many people yeah. have said this. I think it's very valid. This movie does feel very prescient to 9/11 in that it was shot and in post when 9/11 happened. But the the central core of this idea is, and especially because it's all stuff that's not in the short story, is this sense of what degree of liberty are we willing to give up to feel secure that this movie is about, like I said, a post-crime utopia that is ultimately just this rotten, corrupt organization that less powerful people say strong. And the fact that this movie taps in to these like really complex and dark and controversial ideas. Mm-hmm. And that Spielberg's going to double down on this with war of the worlds and Munich next like I said earlier, this feels like a turning point for the blockbuster that, you know, if if we say the blockbuster is born in 77, right, 75, 77, Jaws and Star Wars, that Spielberg as a filmmaker over the 30 years leading up to this has grown more adult and more mature and is capable of making, you know, these very complex dark movies like Schindler's List, like AI, and that this is the moment where he is able to synthesize that into the blockbuster that the blockbuster is no longer mindless pack for children, but that it can be willing to tackle these incredibly dark and grotesque political and philosophical issues. And we did not pick up that baton as a culture. We retreated (laughs) to the safety of Marvel movies. And it just feels like everything could have changed if this movie had made a hundred million dollars more at the box office. Yeah, but know. how much could it have changed? You know, I don't know. There's, That's my question. The Nolan movies do great. I was gonna say, I was like, gonna say this. Yeah. The, there's a lot of Dark Knight in Minority but the Report. Nolan, like, yeah, the Nolan movies, which I love, are so thematically messy. You know what I'm saying? There's a clarity to this that Nolan can't touch. I'm sorry. Well, I, I didn't mean I didn't mean in that yeah. type of comparison, yeah. but I was saying like yeah. Nolan makes blockbusters that have like weighty thematic sure. ideas sure. in them. Yeah. But, but it's just they, him. Okay, They're but, like just you and Denny yeah. Villeneuve. You guys are well, no, okay. Denny Villeneuve has never had a thought in his life. Is my first point. <laughs> um, my second point is that I think there is a huge difference between the sort of like guilt of our past crimes, structural, you know, debasement of basic human liberties. You know, even the the playful messing with the fact that he's a. Was the last time you saw a Hollywood movie where the hero was a drug addict and that wasn't like something that needs to be overcome that's there part is of what i was talking about with yeah. the like you have to suspend your awareness of tom cruise when you sure. begin the movie you have to like ease into tom anderton or john yeah. anderton sorry i think yeah. there is a difference between what this movie is working with ideologically yeah and tenet a equally complex and obtuse and like pushing the form forward movie but that movie's big idea is what if two men were best friends right <laughs> like like nolan nolan is much more of a classical pop artist i think spielberg when when i think war of the worlds he tries to do it again and i don't think it lands and i think after this spielberg withdraws and he's going to make the kids movies and the adult movies and the adult movies are still very complex and the kids movies are ready player one and Warhorse and Tintin. I love Tintin, but that is a whiz bang. 
I just want to run through a couple of things. I, I yeah. There are two films that I kept thinking about that I feel like are indebted to Minority Report that also kind of extrapolate what makes Minority Report a good movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. The one is iRobot from 2004 yes. and the other is Michael Bay's The Island from 2005. Yes. And I something that I was thinking, something that struck me like initially on this watching a Minority Report is just the simple like addition of like having the legal witnesses when he's going through yeah. the forensic detailing. It's like this entire system of law is thought out from beginning to end and it's there on screen it's not necessarily like explained outright to you how it works but like you can tell that i mean obviously it's science fiction but you can tell that like there's a world and there's like a history behind like how these things came into shape and it's not just like the cool aesthetic of this futuristic dystopia that's masked as a utopia um that these other films seem to gravitate towards i think like the aesthetic of children of men is also kind of indebted to minority mm. report in a way, but I think that film does the same thing that minority report does and kind of like builds a complete world. There's an, it. there's also an obvious, when I was watching, there's a movie I immediately thought of that this look, tried to borrow this look and it, you guys will be covering it on your podcast, which is total recall. Okay. I, yeah. yeah, yeah. The <laughs> Verhoeven movie. No, the <laughs> the Colin Farrell remake of total recall. Wait, what are you talking about? Is it? I don't the, think that's Colin... a, Yeah. Is it not Colin Farrell? Total? Is there not? No, a that's a Schwarzenegger movie, man. That's a Schwarzenegger. 2012. Yeah, yeah I have nice. I have no memory of this. Is what I'm saying. Oh, you're not going to cover it? Okay. I I don't know what you're talking about. What's really fascinating is it flips, <laughs> gives him the movie star lead too. Like that's hypothetically, it would be interesting if Colin Farrell had remade done. Total Recall in 2012. Yeah, that yeah, would have been an interesting thing for his career to have done. Shame it didn't happen. <laughs> I want to come back for that. If if we happen to <laughs> hop back into that timeline at some point, man, if only Len Weissman could direct it, that would be, be so. That, Die Hard Four. No, no one, no one in their right mind would let Len Weissman direct a Paul Verhoeven remake. That's insane, Connor. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, man. I just love Underworld so much. Yeah. <laughs> so, do we have any last thoughts? I know we need to wrap it up. Well, yeah. Let's do the Mount Rushmore. The uh, for Steve. That yeah. seems okay. you. I get two. You have three this time cool. okay all right justin justin you you're start us off i'll get jaws i'm just gonna go chuck boring but it's your pick <laughs> i can't say anything about yeah, it yeah. i i think i think i'm gonna be fine with whatever cold picks so again i'm not necessarily what i think is the second best spielberg film but i'm gonna take munich because i think he quietly made like one of the best espionage films Damn it, that nice has movie. ever been put on the screen so I'm going to put Munich number two. I, I adore Munich. Justin, I am praying that you do the right thing here. I have no, no. <laughs> I, am you lobbing, are... I am lobbing this into your court because I know this is not what I should say right now. But I have to say it because this is me doing this and I have to stick up for my boys. Mm. The post I knew you is were going on. Do I get a glass break? More. Because it's a fucking masterpiece. It's one of his best movies. It's maybe his best purely directed movie. When we talk about Spielberg as the master of blocking. I'm just, I should leave. We're talking about the fucking post, baby. Uh, Meryl's best performance, but also maybe Tom's best performance. (laughs) No comment? You guys agree. You guys agree. You guys are being quiet. So it means you agree. (laughs) I'm not, using, I'm not going to use my veto. Okay. Right. Yeah. 
What you got, Justin? Bring us home. Jaws, well, since, Munich, the post. So now I'm going to make it just super chaotic. I'm just going to say Lost World. Just, just a personal thing. almighty. <laughs> yeah, sure. I love that. I love this for us. The yeah. Lost World, really? I, you consider I, that that movie is I would bad. use my veto, but I'm scared what you would replace it with. So <laughs> yeah, I think I'm not going yeah. to. <laughs> Canonically, the four best Steven Spielberg movies. <laughs> Obviously. I not mean, AI. No. I'm not an AI guy. That's the problem. I, I have I have something I have something to, to roll through some things. I have something yeah. that I need to talk about. Yeah. Where was initially offered and accepted by Matt Damon, who had to drop yes. out because the born identity went overshooting another Doug Lyman fiasco that was at twice hand. in a row that Colin is stepping in to fill in for someone else who had to drop out of the movie. Yes, and I think Ed it's Norton interesting and Toby Maguire bail on Hearts War. Hearts War and Tigerland seem like roles that are written for Matt Damon. In my opinion, because of same private yeah. Ryan. So Matt Damon because of same private Ryan role. and Tigerland. Yeah. Tigerland is like literally good will hunting. Is will hunting in Vietnam? Yeah, like that's of, what yeah. that's what kind of the character of Tigerland is. Except if he was from Texas. Um, I think like I've heard things have been said or speculation that there's a line written in about his father having been killed in a church in Dublin to like yeah. kind of like get past the accent. I'm not necessarily sure that like the character wasn't written as somewhat Irish in the first place because mm-hmm. he, I, I think his, his traditional like agricultural Irish Catholicism is like a huge part of the film and what kind of stipulates him as being a, sp- a skeptic of this yeah. new age mm. uh, deification of the precog program. The... I don't think Spielberg like I don't think Spielberg handles it perfectly essentially because the medallion is so nondescript that it... this is this <laughs> is what I'm has say, the medallion wrapped He's around his Jew, hand, like, all the time. Like when yeah. <laughs> when Colin Farrell when Colin Farrell does a Tom Cruise stunt when his stunt that Whitman Whitner does a Tom Cruise stunt and then immediately kisses the cross in his yes. hand. Yes. That feels like the purest encapsulation of the movie star Colin Farrell wasn't. When he gets shot, he has it wrapped around his hand too. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, but it's, it's the close-up of him yeah. kissing it because he just did some Tom Cruise shit and he's <laughs> thankful he's alive. Um, but again, I think I think like his again that the part of the Irish Catholicism that's almost pagan, that's like very agricultural and traditional. I think that's what makes him like a stalwart of the tried and true ways of the past. Sure. And what makes him a skeptic of like the precog. It's it's what because this character is essentially a plot device. It's it's what yeah. colors his character I... with this kind of life, interior life. And um, I so I think like it may have been written from the onset as Irish. And I with that in mind, I think they might have sought out an Irish actor when Damon dropped. That's out interesting. I was I was yeah. also going to say this kind of like segues to like the like the thing you're talking about. The Irish is like so when they're doing that scene and they're breaking through all the apartments, why does it look like 1890s Brooklyn? everywhere else when we're in the poor people's lands which i know yeah i'm fine sure. with, but like I, it's just an odd choice like Cause, uh, cause because the society is not as utopic as it presents itself. exactly that's what it, but it's like, very it is, it's the the version of uh washington dc in this film was which essentially like stipulates that no people of color yeah. exist no people of color exist yeah and 2002 brands still exist <laughs> Which is clearly just a you know product placement punch up the uh, the the budget for this mm. movie. But every time you're getting like a Lexus ad in this movie, you see 
Cops is still on the air. The most unbelievable thing about this movie is that Cops is still on the air 50 years later. Um, the, the fact that Radio Shack is still in business, that like yeah. the economy, the cultural economy froze in 2002 functionally and just became more directly integrated into mm. everyone's lives. So they're almost living in an advertisement on top of these horrific shanty towns. I, I, think, I, I think it's a beautiful piece of world design. I don't think I it do. was. I I liked it. It made me just kill. I was like, oh, so they exist in the film noir world that we're used to. Was well, this I think it speculates. Yeah. I think if the film speculates that there are there are worse parts of America yes. that the people yeah. of color live in. No, well, but, and I, but yeah. I obviously there's a man who's willing to die just for like the financial benefit of his family. He's yeah, that's such an right. interesting yeah. unanswered question. It is worth noting that this movie does pointedly only take place in D.C. and that there is this idea that. The rest of the country is not like this. They want yeah. to make the rest of the country like this. Yeah. Oh, also in the scene where Whitward get gets killed, he's wearing glasses, which I find interesting. And yeah. also relates him Cute. to like also relates him to like the traditionalism of like Ireland. Is that like this is a world that exists? It's a it's a fairly easy surgery to get your eyes replaced. Yeah. And he still has glasses. Like he's I'm sure off. that's that's an issue. That's that interesting. I never thought of that pretty. from that perspective. I like that. I like that as a choice that he was um, like, I refuse to join which, the technology. Which leads into why I don't think his like moral turn at the end of the film is that outrageous. Like I think I, I think I don't think it's outrageous. Yeah. But no. I don't think I think if he was slimier in the beginning, it would it would be unfounded for him to do that at the end. I think if he was slimier in the beginning, it would pop harder. That was the point I was trying to make. I love when he's it's, like, I yeah. love when he's just looking at the crime scene and he's like, this is an orgy of evidence. This is In not real. Orgy. He's like, yeah. 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 I, I'm just saying that there's a world where Colin plays it slimier in the beginning so that it pops harder in the end. And he maybe gets better, commercially better roles after this. But he doesn't do that. He plays it like a real person. He plays it small. He does. Uh, yeah, he does. He does the character. It's the, the beginning of him. Like the, it's like we were talking about. It's that yeah. war of the character actor and the leading man. <laughs> I have, another, a short story. I have another deck. question for yeah. you guys. Um, well, first, let me just get this out of the way. Yeah. Tom Cruise graduated from Glen Ridge High School in New Jersey, but I don't think God, he identifies as being no, from New Jersey. He's so not. He doesn't count. Also, my mom vetoed it this morning. Okay. So he's not going on the wall of fame. Um, is this the is this the uh premier American role for Max von Sydow at the end of his career? You know, looking back on it. Uh, okay. I the end a, of his career. No, I mean, uh, I mean, is this his premier American role? No, The Exorcist. Yeah, or like, isn't he in a bunch of Woody Allen movies in the eighties? Yeah, he's in Pelly the Conqueror. That's he's, like a co-production, I think. He's husbands and wives, or yeah. One of those. I think this like, might be the one I think of when I think. No, of you think of The Exorcist. I'm mad. I am mad at this very <laughs> suggestion. I, I think, think of him I in Woody Allen movies. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, he's also in a Star Wars. Yeah. I do not think of him as being in Star Wars. Don't oh, even yes. like posit that. <laughs> um, this is based on a short story by Philip K. Dick. Uh, one of his weaker short stories, I think. Um, I don't know how much you two know about his body of work. Was really into him in middle school, personally. Me too. Me too. Um, have you have you read this story, Justin? I've not read this story, but yeah. I've read a lot of Philip K. Dick. Yeah, as a as a big Philip K. Dick fan, this is a bad story with a good hook and the hook is basically all that spielberg takes mm -hmm. and i guess scott frank really takes mm -hmm. from this is just the what if they could arrest you before you committed a crime and what if the police chief got flagged under that 
Yeah. Everything else is different. All the dead cop kid stuff is an invention of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the short story is mostly people sitting around and talking a bunch. Mm-hmm. The concept of what a minority report means in the story is completely different. And I just mm-hmm. I, I love just on a thematic level, just the idea of the minority report in this movie is doubt. It is it is the uncertainty that the security state doesn't want you to consider, but that eventually you're going to have to consider whether or not this is all worth it. And I think just on a pure poetic level, the short story gets more caught up in the logistics of the mm. the, the psychic powers, and the it really feels like a world building exercise. Sounds in like a lot Akira. of ways, it sounds like an early version yeah, of Akira. The, the, the big thing about it is that. It ultimately reveals that each one of them gives a sep- each precog gives a separate minority report. The mm, idea yeah. being that the first one sees the first thing that happens. The second one sees what he's going to do once he finds out he's been flagged, which is not kill a guy. And then the third one is like, actually, the conspiracy was to try to get him to do the second thing. So the third precog saw the future where he realizes that the conspiracy is for him to not kill a guy. So he does kill a guy. Which is which ends up looking exactly like the first one. So then they mistake it as they mistake it as a majority report because the third and the first look the same. That this movie just what this movie ultimately just cares about vis-a-vis that Tate Square Minority Report is just this sense of it is built on untruths. That the system is dodgier than it wants to present itself to you. And like I said earlier, I think all the psychic stuff is really just a red herring in this movie on a thematic level. That it just cares about institutional abuses tom cruise being weird and film noir goodness yeah well can i add can i add so like the central question is like what if the police knew you were going to commit a crime before you commit it but Mm -hmm. i think the question that spielberg is most interested in is do people have enough strength to not do the thing that every single thing in their life has pushed them towards doing if they know it's wrong. Yeah. I think that's that's the question that Spielberg's more interested in. And I think the scene in the flashback to where Sean gets kidnapped is one of the more horrifying scenes I've seen. Because it's so quick. He he smiles at a woman and then the watch falls into the Yeah, And he gets out and Sean's gone. And And clearly, I mean, the implication knowing that we've seen the end of the movie and rewatching it. The implication is they've been watching Anderton for a while. Right. Like if if this can be pulled off this quickly, that like the, the the system has been ready to turn this guy into a tragic hero for forever, which that's just the root of the evil that, that it's that plant is to me horrifying. Well, I think what makes it a true noir, what like overcomes again, like the goofiness of the other police officers and some of the like, just the, the Spielberg's interest in like choreography, which I think Mm -hmm. noir isn't necessarily as attuned to is Mm -hmm. just the fact that like you build a system where it's impossible to murder somebody without getting caught yet. The fact that you built a system that made it impossible means that the people in charge of the system can murder people without getting caught. Which is like the central yeah. tenet of like all noir, you know, when it comes yeah, down the, to not murder, system. but the fact that like the system allows people to get away with things. Yeah. 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 It's it's such a clever inversion of I've been framed and have to prove my is it. Yeah. Like it's like it's as simple as it can be. And like it turns it into this like Kafka-esque nightmare of being accused and then having to chase your own truth. But yeah. I, I, God, I think you're dead on with something that looked like that's what Spielberg was interested with the like 
how do you overcome not do it like that's so him they'll be interested in that and not necessarily the dark murky politics of it all well like, the the scene where he doesn't kill the guy is right so man, everything about that scene is like peak spielberg it's where incredible. it's like they're having the same conversation that we've already seen in the previs of the the event taking place samantha mm -hmm. morton is like off on the side like her her grasp of reality is shattering because i i also oh. think there's like the level of like spielberg spiritualism that like yeah. i know that i know that philip k dick like proposed this first but i think another thing that spielberg latched onto is like the taking of a human life by another human being like literally shatters the world as we know yeah. it and like builds a yeah. new world around it and i think like the pain that you see um agatha in as the murder is about to take place is is again like horrifying to watch because you're really like you're watching her you're watching her perception of the world around her like shatter and it's painful and i think again what he's interested in is anderton coming to the conclusion like every single bone in my body every single cell is telling me to kill you and it's the only thing i've been thinking of since my son disappeared is mm -hmm. killing the man who did this yeah i know it's wrong and i have the strength to to stand up and not do it and arrest you instead <laughs> the guy takes yeah. his own life it's just yeah it's so there's so many like even the happy ending always feels a little like hollow it's like yeah it's the beginning it's... of that dark period of spielberg like it's like it's he, he he still has the instinct to give you a happy ending but he like takes it out like he still finds a way to darken it this is this is maybe me giving the movie a little too much credit but like every film noir has a shitty happy ending Right. Yeah, it's, it's, true, it's yeah. literally true. a Hayes Code demand. And when people say, well, this movie had to have a happy ending, it was a summer blockbuster. I look at that the same way I look at Thieves Highway and the cops coming in to save the in a Thieves Highway. I'm like, mm -hmm. the economic realities of film distribution do yeah. in fact impact the stories we can tell. Yeah. And this is just this is part and parcel with the form. And it doesn't bother me because I don't I don't need these things. Movies are complicated, like ideologically, thematically. That's what's most interesting about them is that they're discursive. They're not declaratory. And that's yeah. just part and parcel with that for me. And he, he's putting in he's putting in the option that the ending is a dream like Spielberg uh, is. dropping. No, I think Spielberg is fully dropping that into the film. He's he's allowing you to like latch on to that. Interpretation I, I, if you want. I don't. Here's here is my problem with that is that I don't buy it's the dream he would have because I don't by that the conversation with Max von Sydow and his ex-wife would be part of the dream that he has. That you don't think his feels... dream is his ex-wife, like his ex-wife, his no, ex-wife I... fixing his life for him? I think that's definitely part of it. I don't think his dream is his ex-wife somehow tricking Max von Sydow into a logic trap without realizing she's doing it. I think, I think she's going to be cooler in that scene. It's the... It's the why, how does Lydia Tarr know what Monster Hunter thing is all over again? You know, it doesn't feel like it. There are parts of it that don't feel like it would be what they would be dreaming. And that's why I don't buy it. I also don't buy it because Tim Blake Nelson clearly implies that they're dreaming of torment, not of happiness. That's how I read that earlier scene where he's like, so. oh, they're so busy. I don't think the, the cryo criminals are having like happy little fantasies in there. I mean, I, 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 like, I'm with you. I see the kind of like dream lot, but I also just feel like it just feels very unspielberg to do it. Like, he just, yeah, it's just not that. Guy. I mean, that's the he's reason taking, why he's taking, he's taking, 
he's he's doing a lot of weird stuff at this point you yeah. know but this, not, this is right off of ai which is not a storyteller yeah. ai a movie that also doesn't have a dream ending right, right. like no, I'm not saying it, I'm not yeah. saying that AI know, does. So I, this one does. I'm saying like I think Spielberg, who's a premier storyteller, who like understands the craft better than anybody who's ever lived. I think he, he's he's not unaware that you can interpret it as being a dream when sure. that when that dialogue is in the film. When sure. he doesn't he he literally says like and all your dreams will come true or something like that when you're yeah. in the when you're in the coma state in the in the prison farm. Man, Steve Spielberg, good director. What do we think? We think he's a good director. In general, I mean, you can't argue with the Mount Rushmore. Like that's yeah. Just, just... I mean, I do think. Yeah, but what if Len me... Wiseman made Total Recall in 2012? <laughs> That'd <man>. be wild. <laughs> 2012. So... so hypothetically, it's what if Colin Farrell starred in a Total Recall remake right after a Fright Night remake? That would have killed his career. Yeah, yeah. this is a weird hypothetical you flooded, Justin. <laughs> he goes to Mars, right? <laughs> he goes to Mars in it. He has to go to Mars. He has to go to Mars. Total Recall is about. Either he goes to Mars, or I guess hypothetically, <laughs> you would actually adapt the short story, which yeah. is about aliens coming down to Earth and finding the most purely innocent child of all time and implanting false memories in him so he never realizes how pure and innocent he is because his innocence is the only thing keeping aliens from destroying humanity and the aliens don't want him to realize that. Yeah, so I guess you could make that movie yeah. and Colin might be interesting in that movie. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> There's one movie called Total... There might be two movies called Total Recall. I don't know. I can't really remember. I'll tune in if, you know, if it happens. <laughs> what I was going to say, like I wanted to like... Do we feel this is a great like like for Farrell? Like, is this, this is obviously not on a Mar Rushmore performance for him, but like, where does it stand for you? Is it like an interesting thing? Is it could have just been anyone? Like, would have been better with Matt Damon? Would have been better no. with no? Okay. I don't think it would have been better with Damon. Damon's I think Damon would have been trying a lot harder to stand up to Cruz in these scenes. And I think the magic of Farrell is like, he's clearly not trying to be Cruz, but he's also, he stands his own. He's the character is intimidating, which again, as a 25 year old, 24, possibly when they started filming. No, when they started filming this 25, follow. he's 25. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's 26 when he comes out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I don't think, I think at this point, I mean, I, Cole and I are both kind of like fascinated by Damon. So I'm not going to like scoff at the Damon idea of seeing is... him in this, but I don't Damon think he would have been better than Farrell really in this. Yeah. Damon is more interesting than he is good. That's yeah. my Damon take. Yeah. I mean, he is good and stuff. He's yes. just, oh, yes, I would of never, course, of course. I would never make the argument that Damon but is he's like weird. a premier character yeah, actor, a premier good. actor, you know, you can, you can cut this out, but this is my Damon take, which is hit me. Uh, Mark Wahlberg is the better Matt Damon. Oh, I see. I disagree with that. Better, but more Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> better movies. <laughs> better great movies. I, I have settled the on. Boston. I think. I think Mark Wahlberg is an out and out bad actor because I think the degree to which he's director dependent has has become so stark that it is clear that he can't do any of it on his own. That's know, my like, Mark Wahlberg it, take. Yeah, but he's got more better movies because he's worked with better directors. That but Damon... does he have more better performances? Yes, than he's yes. got better movies than Damon. Sure, he's got better movies than Damon. He was in. He was no, in like a nights. larger list of. It's oh, a yeah, lot closer. Well, okay. How many great fear Mark Matt... Wahlberg movies? Boogie Nights, Pain and Game, 
Departed. No, not Pain and Gain. Taking that out. Pain and Gain's oh, on yeah. there. Sorry, you're on Vodacon. Taking that out. Fear. Uh, no, no. Yes, I yes. great movies. Okay, That's... I'll put Fear on there. I'll give it to you because you need them. I'd have to pull up his filmography. The can, I, can I name great Matt Damon movies? Yeah, right you can now? name all four of them as well. Ocean's Eleven? No. He's Ocean's got 18. Yeah, stop. He's got 18 other movie stars <laughs> making him look good. They're both in The Departed. So The Departed, yeah. yeah. So that doesn't count for either one of them. Let's see. Justin, how do you feel yeah. about my take? I wish Feral. I wish that Feral was the Wahlberg role in The Departed. Oh, that would be fun. That would it's great. a much better movie. I agree. Yeah. Uh, okay, I got one. I got one more Farrell take that I've thrown to Cole at some point. I think via text, which is yeah. Colin Farrell goes on to have the career Robert Downey Jr. was set up. Yes, that have a million. We we oh, are yeah yeah lockstep, yeah. and and the timing is almost perfect because because the Colin Farrell like dream run really does start in like 2014, which is yeah. when Downey makes the last real movie he makes. Yeah. Until Oppenheimer, obviously. Yeah. Um, do you ever think about he was going to make a Richard Linklater movie? That would have been so good. He was supposed to be in Inherent Vice. I think about that all the yeah, time. Yeah, I don't know about that because I think you don't believe it. I don't. No, 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 no. I, it's real. It's real. Yeah. I don't know if it would be better than Joaquin. And um, it's because of where Robert Downey. It's that Robert Downey Jr. is like so checked out at that point that like would he have been good in inherent vice and what would the world be like today yeah. if tom cruise was iron man you know? yeah, yeah oh, no. now robert Downey jr five years earlier if if inherent vice had happened in 2007 great it's checked out rdj i, I agree i agree i I'm also worried about that performance wait, i wait, also wait. just think i don't think him and pt anderson even though it seems like a slam dunk i think i think robert Downey jr has some older brother like because i think his dad loved pt yeah. anderson yeah. more well, than, they did yeah 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 like it's, robert Downey jr has a weird relationship to his dad's movies yeah uh, i don't know if you guys have seen the documentary I have not, is it worth watching i have not watched it it's Yes, it is worth watching because Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Sr. is fascinating, and yeah. you know, obviously, he's dead now, and that movie basically captures the the end of his life. Like he yeah. dies in that movie. That movie ends yeah. with his funeral. the The stuff about Robert Downey Jr. and his father, like basically trying to make peace yeah. with each other and put everything behind each other, as Artie Sr. is dying, is incredibly affecting and moving. Yeah. The relationship that movie has to the movies of Robert Downey Sr. is almost libelous. Yeah. Like that's... that is Robert Downey Jr. doing a fucking reputation wash yeah. on his dad and making his dad just a kooky weirdo and not like one of the 10 best American filmmakers of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're in agreement on that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a big, I'm yeah. a big, but it's it's fascinating to watch like Robert Downey Jr. comes back as Farrell's career goes down for a minute and it's just like they're they're so obviously could do a lot of the same stuff though i think robert Downey jr could have been a movie star where i i love colin farrell i don't think he could ever have been a full like star in a rom-com be in a shitty movie that's the rom-com totally thing i think you could do a rom-com he's so hot justin I, know, but I think I don't you could do a rom-com. He gets so bored if it's not, like, if he yes. had to be in Failure to Launch or How to Lose a Guy, like, an interesting rom-com, sure. Yeah. But I don't think he can just be in a mediocre down-the-middle movie and be interesting the way... Can a, I... A well, I don't really think he could just be in a down-the-middle movie at all, after, yeah. especially after some of the ones that Cole and I just sat there. Yeah, and, Christ. Can yeah. I throw something out to you, Justin, yeah. that I think you're yeah. maybe, like, dancing around and I want to yeah. see your opinion on this? 
the hypothetical scenario where Colin Farrell can be in a boring movie, right? Like that yeah. he's he's gonna do this stuff and he is the movie star. Yeah. Is that then Ewan McGregor's career? Post Moulin Rouge. Interesting. Mm. I kind of think that's what it is. Yeah. I, don't, I just yeah, don't. could be. I, I, I love because Colin's like, not going to make the island, right? I guess. I guess. I, I don't He's know, also like, not going to make a Winnie the Pooh movie. I think he could. I think Colin. I, I don't know. It I depends. Never, it's yeah. weird. I never really think of Ewan as a movie star at all. Like, even though you're right, but like, he I headlines. Think, I know. You're and right. they're hits. They're hits as of recently. He was in a Star Wars movie. He had the most best actor. Christopher in a Star Robin Wars movie. was a hit. <laughs> Dr. Sleep did pretty damn good. Like, yeah. He can still, Ewan can still open a movie. I, I, you're probably right. I just don't think, like, I, when I think of, like, the top 25 people I would think could have been a movie star, he never comes up on my list. I just rewatched yeah. Trainspotting. He's, like, he's yeah, so. he's incredible. Ewan's also probably been in a movie that is better than the best Colin Farrell movie. Oh, because I do think that Down With Love is probably better than Miami Vice. Here's the, here's the take that I'm coming to. <laughs> Based off of the discussion that we've been having this episode, I think due to his Irishness, Farrell is too ethnic to just be the boring white guy that Damon is in the Damon movie star roles. And I think that's the issue. It's what it comes down to. I think Affleck is also kind of an interesting touchstone for Colin then, because Affleck is also someone who seems bored by having to do the things he wants to he has to do and wants to do things that are kind of weirder but he's not as good of an actor as colin they're both no i agree they're both good character they're better in the character actor position than they are the leading man position i try to think of i think farrell's i think farrell's best is in the art house indie leading man position yeah which is a different beast yeah yeah he's a philip seymour hoffman almost sure yeah, um, I gotta run a couple things by you, Justin. Before you okay, leave. let's do it. Okay, one uh, visual effects this year was really weird. The Academy Awards. Yeah. I don't really understand how this didn't get a nominee. Um, it's crazy Lord of the Rings. Me. Lord of the Rings won, which obvious. Is fine, two towers. Yeah, but the the other nominees are Spider Man, which I think should be there, and yeah. <laughs> Star Wars: Attack of the Clones. I understand every Star Wars movie gets nominated, but both that and this film have fight scenes that happen in robot factories on conveyor belts. And the one in this film is like a million times better than the one in that film. So I really don't understand how that happened. Um, and then if I'm just going to roll into the mm. other, <laughs> if I'm just going to roll into the other point that I wanted to make, which I completely lost. I did just want to say what you're thinking. I, mm. I do another way in which this movie is a crossroads moment. Uh, this is the first movie to ever be previst. Uh, I don't know if you guys knew that. Um, I do remember that. This is like yeah, hearing which, about it. Which was just apparently that because you know Steven Spielberg famously hates storyboarding, and apparently they realized that if they just made three D models for the storyboards, he would respond to them better because you know he can visualize the space and that's his whole thing. But yeah. this movie does maybe kind of doom movies if yeah. you think about it. <laughs> yeah, it said, it said that. Uh, yeah. Mm. One of the interviews I read said that Spielberg and crew started pre-production in December of 1998. Yes, this movie was in development for a long time because it was supposed to be a Jan de Bont movie and they just couldn't get the script right. And eventually Spielberg just stepped in and took over. But it was always a DreamWorks Cruise Wagner collab. But 
he wasn't yeah. maybe going to produce star and Steve maybe wasn't going to direct, but yeah. as they just kept working on the project, they were like, this should be the one we do together. It also had to happen, right? Like the biggest yeah. director of all time and the one of the biggest movie stars of all time had to do a movie together. It's just like, Man. and War of the Worlds and we could like have the gotten obvious choice. We could have gotten like 15 years of just Spielberg cruise with movies of Kirsten. Well, but in the spot, you guys know that they have like a major like personal falling out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. because um, Spielberg is mad that he's making the War of the Worlds press tour about yeah. him and Katie Holmes and acting like yeah. a maniac. But they're friends now. They hugged at the the Oscar lunch. He said he saved Spielberg. Movies. Said he saved cinema. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is rude to James Cameron, <laughs> who the actually other, saved cinema and made a better movie. The other thing that I wanted to point out is I kind of love how the forensic computer screen looks like a nonlinear video editor, and I feel yeah. like Spielberg. I feel like Spielberg saw an early version of Final Cut and was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen. And he's like, I got to put that in the movie. They've been, cutting, that's what they've the been cutting things on Avid for like five Yeah, but Avid doesn't or... look, Avid yeah, at that time true. didn't look like the way it does. And that, like, it has the timeline at the bottom of the screen. He's like scrubbing yeah, back and forth true. through like from frame to frame. And I, then like, I was thinking about what you were saying and I, mm-hmm. I like Farrell's lazy gestures wait because cruises it's not even lazy so much it is is it's it's too try hard actually i think no i think cruises cruises arms are like stiff yeah he's like grabbing stuff and he's throwing it at the screen and then you look at feral and feral's just like i'm just feral's looks like what you would actually do on an ipad maybe which i think is crazy that this film came out five years before the first iphone came out so like all those gestures carry over well because it's like it was saying it's because jobs and cook look to yeah. this movie as a design philosophy basically yeah well, and i know that spielberg also had his like 90s brain trust where he got yeah. like all these like yeah he got into the r d department technical yeah. leaders yeah. yeah they they had a summit and they like projected what the future would look like and he <laughs> took so much of that for this but i mean i think connor i'm sure you can understand this just because we've both had i feel like i got this through the grad program justin you would mm-hmm. probably hear this too no movie is ever actually the first to do anything right like even if this is literally the first movie to use previs what does that resemble to contemporary previs no everything's in dialogue with everything else and i think but i think we can also then point to a movie like this and be like yes even if it is responding to design philosophies that are already going to be in place it enshrines them and accelerates them as much as any one movie can what it does raise that we've talked over the course of this conversation is like, so this is one of the first way to use previses. It's one of the first like full green screen sequences. It's one of the yep. first col- like the color correction we were talking about. And, and like, the, and it does resemble non-linear editing. Is there like some type of paranoia in Spielberg about technology ruining filmmaking? Maybe. I mean, it's like just subtly working through the whole movie. Like, is that where his like fear? Cause like, this is such a 9-11 movie that have been made before 9-11. It's just like, I can, that is like, the more I watched it and looked that up, I was really shocked. The paranoia. I mean, I mean, that, that would be the thing I'd have to think of the next time I watch this yeah. is, because it's about, it's about the camera, right? The precogs would be the, yeah. yeah. Anderson's Fair. the director, Whitner's the producer. Yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. No, it's, there's something there. I always like thinking about movies. It's the inception is about, making a movie argument, oh yeah that, that, which that's is the, it's, it's 100 percent. that's just such a fun way to like dig into it i mean yeah. every movie is about movies to some degree yes, right yes of course especially but movies I, about uh taking like <laughs> moving images this is a movie about yeah. moving images just, that's what yeah. Yeah. yeah 
It anyway, is. Do we have it, anything else, Connor? I don't have a game for you because the fucking keywords this week were shit. I over do. The, you want to try? The... You want to guess IndieWire's so, top five sci-fi sure. of the twenty-first century? I I will, but I just want to suggest it. Normally, what I do? You know the numbers. The website the numbers it's good box office yeah, mojo. Yeah, 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 yeah. normally what i do is i go to the numbers i look up the movie i find a keyword associated with the movie and i quiz connor on what the top five highest grossing movies under yeah. that thing are the problem okay. this week is that the top five movies listed as film noir on the numbers are three batman movies into the spider-verse <laughs> and the fugitive and i was like wait this is not for what fun. for film noir that for was film noir say. and like fugitive movies it was the same movies. thing it was like like <laughs> This game is fun when there's one weird contemporary blockbuster that some nerd has like slotted yeah, in there. It's not fun. Funny. But you which said the three, which three are the Batmans? Oh, that it, that's the dumbest part. It's the Dark Knight, it's 89, and it's Begets. It's not even returns. It's not what? even fucking returns. Or rises. This is upsetting. Yeah, well, rises is the least noari movie ever it's made. It's rises made more money than. Yeah, it is. Begins, dude. Right? Maybe. I don't know. So you said you want me to guess the top five. Yeah, yeah. Of the 21st century. 21st century. According to IndieWire. In 2022, they released the article. Okay, I can just burn this up. Ex Machina. No. What the shit? That's a thumb. Sure will be on there. Arrival. No. Wow. This is going to be I like this list because Arrival is bad. (laughs) I love love Arrival. Arrival is a movie for people who are too dumb to appreciate contact. Uh, Thanks, Uh, man. Okay, so is it weird? How many? You said five? There's one. There's one that, like, I feel like you would never assume would be on this list considering. Can I guess one? Yeah, guess one. Eternal Sunshine? Eternal Sunshine. Oh, I was thinking 2010s for some reason. Okay, um, but is Mad Max Fury Road on there? Uh no, I mean it might be on the list. It's not, but it's not in the top five. Yeah, Christ, are they One, cool? Is Benson and Moorhead Spring on there? No, my favorite. Uh, is film. There? There's oh, one very. I can't even recent, acknowledge. There's about one it. very recent film. If you like, 2019. More 2021. Is it fucking Dune? More recent than that. What came out this summer? More farther away than that. What came out? Is it Matrix Four? more recent than that <laughs> cowards what came out in the spring justin do you have any ideas no i was like annihilation but that's it's, like it's obvious it's like the biggest it's like the biggest movie in the news right now avatar, avatar 2 no that's too late what's I mean, the biggest that's, movie uh, in the news right now think, I, what uh, is it it's uh everything everywhere all at once oh yeah fuck. that's number five piece of shit Bad movie. Um, there's that? a foreign film on the list at number two. Not oh. a foreign Children film. Of Man, the other one? Ch- is Children of Men on there? Thank you, Justin. Children of Men is number one. Of course yeah. it is. Yeah. A, a soft seven out of ten is, <laughs> is my thought of Children of Men. Okay, so I got one. Children of Men, Eternal Sunshine, Everything Every... Christ. Everything Everywhere is on there. Now I'm it's offended on X Machina. It's number five. I don't even care about X Machina. So I have two more to get? Yes. yes Can you give me the get. years if you don't mind? Um, damn, I can't remember the year of this one. Okay. Um, shit. One, one is before the 2010s begin and the other one is before, I want to say before 2015. In between 2010 and before 2015. Yeah. My brain is freezing up. One, one is 2013. Her. Yeah. One is 2013. Justin, Justin, you said that. 
It's not her. It's not her. Well, thank God, because no. talking about a movie that sucks. I want to say the other. I cannot give you a year on the other one. The other one's the foreign one. What what kind of subgenre of science fiction? Okay, twenty the twenty thirteen one is. I would, I would classify as art house. Um, Not upstream color. Sci-fi, sci-fi alien, sci-fi. Oh, under the skin. Under the skin. Under the skin. Yeah, yeah I think of that as a twenty. Good. I think of that as a twenty fourteen because that's when it actually came out in the states. And then the foreign one, what country? Um, you want to start with part of the world? It's from I want to start Asia. with country. Okay, it's from South Korea. Is it, is it Pulse? Oh, South Korea? Yeah. The host? Yes, it's the host. Uh, I've never seen the host. That's the, the one host is number two. Should have been Pulse. Should have been Pulse, Agreed. right? Agreed. Kurosawa had... That's a weird top five, though. It's a weird top five. That is a weird top five. I'll give him props. I am shocked. So if anybody gives a shit about our Mount Rushmore, it's like, these lists yes. are way weirder. I am... <laughs> yeah. I, I did not purposely tank the Spielberg Mount Rushmore. I am just shocked. Yeah, you did. You put the post on there. Yeah, because the post is a perfect movie. I stand um, by what I said. I think Munich might be quietly... I, I love the Munich. Best side, big, the best yeah. espionage film of the at least the 21st century. Yeah. It's, Munich I love, I love that it's... It's a masterpiece. It's the closest thing we've gotten to like the way a John Le Carre novel reads yeah. on the page, you know. Um, yeah. I'm just surprised that Ex Machina and Arrival aren't on there because boring Shocking. critics love those two incredibly mediocre movies. Uh, Alex Garland has made one good movie and it is called Men. Anyway, I liked it too. It's weird, it's legitimately weird. Um, any last thoughts before we? Tap up, Justin. Eddie, they got a dip. This was fun. Thank um, you so much, Justin. I don't think we specific. Oh. Eh, we didn't Spe- specifically state specific Pacific. Mm-hmm. Um, the budget was 102 million. It made yeah. 358. It million. did fine. So, Colin Farrell was in a movie that made money. Thank yeah, God. Yeah, he was in and he's going he to be in it, more hits. I'm gonna keep tracking of like his starring roles of yeah. like where we are. Are we in the red? Or are we in the black? He I is kind collectively of in the red. He's he's <laughs> like sixty eight million dollars in the red, Justin. Wow. Based I mean, we totally did his Total Recall twenty twelve. That would have been that would have been a big hit. That's uh... dude. They didn't. I don't know what you're, you're, you're talking about. Talking nonsense. Um, yeah. Justin Perlich, good. You got anything you want to plug? Uh no go but I uh, have a feature coming hopefully in the next year so just go to my oh, website wow, justinstillmaker.com and uh I would love to come back this was great guys this, this was so much fun thank you so much this this right. went wonderfully thank you Justin um, anyway we're gonna sign off uh, next week's the recruit right hold on <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I can't even remember when was the last time you looked at the filmography uh earlier today I'm pulling it up right now no 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 no, no. next week next He's... week is phone booth wait let me guess phone booth. It's hey. phone booth. We should have a guest for phone booth. I am so excited, but we are going to sign off right until there. next week. And as always, fuck the domestic security apparatus. I can feel it.